Welcome to episode 686 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Radio team, welcome along to episode 686 of Iron Talk with Coach John Newsom and Bevan James. Oh, how you going, mate? Pretty good, Bevan. Pretty good. Had mm-hmm. a haircut? Had a haircut. Got a real Can, job? Got a real job. Got a bit lazy this morning. Bit of rain out there, decided not to bike up. Oh. Even got dropped up here. Really? Yeah, crazy stuff. How are you going to get home? School holidays, I'm um, getting picked up as well. Wow, luxury service for some, mate. Mm, is that yeah. by the wife? It is. Thomas, we haven't quite given Thomas a driver's license yet at age 12. I had a mate I went to school with, Neil Sisekifu. Neil Sisekifu I went to school with when I was about just early high school. And his parents let him drive from 12. And literally drive, not just like drive up and down the driveway a couple of times. He drove the parents around. Nice. Yeah, because they couldn't be bothered driving. Now, Neil Sisekifu looked like a man when he was five. <laughs> yeah. Like, let's say he had a moustache at 12, so he could pull it off. Um, and you'd have to go to car dealerships and get cars and then take the boys out for a drive and stuff. And, oh, my goodness. Oh, Nils is a key for good times. I took his proudly brought to you by... Extreme Endurance. Galactic Buffer. And Generation You Can. And if you can, they can too. Good new... I just made that up, John. Great. Thank, thank you very much. Trademark it. It's very good. Uh, great nutrition to help you perform better on your race day. John, let's name a few patrons as well. Adam, the King Turner. We've got Craig, Out of the Park, Middleman. And Greg, the BFG Penner. Okay, this week's show we've got uh, news, quite a bit of news this week actually, uh, hot topic of the week. Uh, we're going to interview John. You've already done it. Yep, uh, I had a chat to Brent Chan <laughs> last week because uh, around the discussion of drafting and technical officiating, Brett's a technical official, he's an athlete as well, he came on our road camp uh, nice a couple guy. of years ago, and so I thought I'd get him on to just just discuss what it's like when you actually are being a technical official, what they're looking for, and what sort of directives they get given. Okay, John, you've also got a coach's corner on your bike setup. Well, I had my, at the weekend, I got the cube out, and we had a JD duathlon, and I wanted to did make... Did you race? It, I didn't, but I wanted to make it really clear what the draft distance was for people. So mm. put my cube out, um, the TT bike, I had my mountain bike out there as well. For this race, we were using a seven metre draft rule. Um, and so I just laid the two bikes out, seven metre gap, so people could see the difference. Really trying to explain to people what drafting, uh, how it works. A lot visually of people, how it looks. Visually how it looks. And then, you know, if you're starting to make a pass, you've got to carry it through. So trying to do my little two cents worth in terms of trying to educate people that may go on to do other races further down the track about what is required when you're drafting. Lots of people were asking questions about my bike, so I thought I'm going to give it a plug here and just go through the equipment that I've got on there and why I actually have it on there. Uh, we've got a wing over the week. got a few questions and answers then, John. So last week we were talking about on oh, news. Let's get into it. So last week we were talking about how the PTO is going to try buying Iron Man and Brad Klupp um, sent us through a really good article from the tri- my tri- He wrote the article. Brad oh, he Culp. wrote the article. Yeah, yeah. Oh, there you go. Did he not send it through? No, somebody else did. Okay, we'll think who it is. I know Sulikov mentioned it on our Facebook page. Oh, there you go. Uh, interesting article. I've kind of written down some key points here. So, some key points. The IPO was a disaster. Yeah, and the reason we didn't know, well, didn't discuss this last week or didn't know about it, it actually happened during Epic Camp when I was away. And when Epic Camp's on, 
I ain't watching any news. I'm not. I've just got my head down, bum up, and mm. so I completely missed it. So good old Jordan Blanco actually sent me through a note saying it has actually happened, and it was a complete flop that Bevan's going to summarise right now. Well, though, basically, if you read the article, it was the second worst IPO in America this year. Now, I don't think you get as many IPOs nowadays because I think it's a thing that happens less because of regulation changes. Right. But still, the second worst in the year is not good. And, and kind of one of the articles was talking about how the Chinese IPOs just aren't really taking off in America. Wanda went into the IPO initially expecting to get a price of around about 12 to $15 US a share. And they were looking to sell 33 million shares. At that point, they were thinking they'd make a profit about $500 million um, or take away $500 million from it. Uh, Basically, they got feedback that it wasn't going to be so good, so they reduced the amount of shares to 23 million, or nearly 24, and reset the target to around 90, $11 US. At the largest and highest price, the company was hoping to get 500 million, but more than they basically got half of that, and maybe even less in the long mm. term. Now, the shares are currently at 425. Yeah. I know nothing about share market or any of this sort of stuff, but uh, from from a really basic perspective, that doesn't look so great. Well, if you went into expecting to get twelve to fifteen, and you're at four twenty five, that's a third of that, or, or even a quarter of that. That's like it's not a good return. So um, now, again, I don't know enough. I'm a bit like you. I'm not quite sure what the story is here, but. Um, yeah, maybe it's a bargain. Now, what, one thing we would say, this is Wanda Sports, not the Wanda Group, which is a massive con- conglomerate. This is just the, the sports Oh, did division. you see the Bloomberg photo? Because uh, Andrew Messick was ringing the bell at yes. the Nasdaq. And, yeah. uh, well, you know, it's a big thing. Um, I suppose, you know, on this, many of our listeners are right kind of financial geeks. If you're a financial geek, can you give us a, maybe a, a kind of a bit of a... Bullet a points. Bullet points. John likes his <laughs> bullet points. Can you give us a bullet points of what this means and maybe why it hasn't performed as well as it does? Now, obviously, analysts are looking at this its product and mm-hmm. maybe not thinking it's as worth as much as they thought it was worth. But I'd love to get some insight from someone who knows a bit more about that game. And then we got sent through another article. Uh, actually, it was the same article from Brad Club and uh, just interviewing Sam Renoffs about this. And he's a guy from the PTO. And he's just come up with his three points. He, he really believes the ownership structure is wrong. Uh, and that really what they want to be looking for is a model that's like the tennis slash golf model where the pros pretty much run the sport. Um, he feels that they've got way too much debt. So they, from what I understand is when Wanda took it over, they got debt to pay themselves some profit really, didn't they? Mm. Or just get money out of the business. Yeah, I don't really understand all that stuff. But it sounds to me like a lot of the revenue from Iron Man is going to pay off debt. Yeah, rather, and, and than, rather that, than investing into the sport. Well, and that's what um, Sam Renoff says. He says basically $30 million a year is going to interest payments, whereas probes get about $4.7 million a year. Mm. And so if you could reduce the debt and then put that money into pros and developing the sport in ways that reaches a bigger audience, the potential for growth in the sport is pretty massive. He does say that he, our sports needs more superstars, and he, does, he talks about how the difference between like Daniela, who is – arguably one of the greatest sports people in the world it was the look at mm-hmm. domination of the sport right now and in Switzerland she, you know she's got a big name mm-hmm. but outside there if you ask a New Zealander who's Daniela Reef, nobody would know yeah no I agree but I think it's a bit harsh comparing it to tennis you know if you compared it to well, yeah he does say like look at Serena yeah but uh, so that's a totally different level but you know if we compared this to marathon running I don't know I can only name one Marathon runner, really? Yeah, I can't even say his name, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, no, maybe a couple. I did, did notice. Um, yeah, it was just off the world record, two seconds. Two seconds. Um, 
Oh, God, his name eludes me now. So there's two marathon runners that I do know, well, but I can't well, remember one of the names. Bikili. Bikili. So, yeah, I think it's a bit harsh. But I do agree. They could do a hell of a lot better job in terms of marketing our sport rather than just making it about the Kona coverage each year with the sob stories, which I think are really good, and they, do, they are a fantastic marketing tool, but making it so it's a bit more mainstream. Well, and that's the point is that there's really no broadcasting money in the sport. If they can tap into that, then it's a real game changer because if you can get that big broadcasting money, that would be the big kind of thing. Now, when it comes to capital, they asked them about, well, how are they going to do this? Because basically you're going to need about seven and a half, seven hundred fifty million, it seems, to be able to mm. buy this off Wanda. Uh, he said they have what they call patient capital. So these are people who are looking for healthy returns from the company like Ironman, but don't need to leverage up with debt to squeeze out interest payments. So They're in for the long game. Yeah, in for the long game. Still obviously going to run it like a business, need to make their money return, but they're kind of willing to kind of change the structure in a way that works. The In the interview, they were quite, well, they asked a hard question of, well, you've talked a big game around the Collins Cup, nothing's happened, so why do we believe you now? Uh, and he kind of just says, well, we've had some issues there. So... Um, Fascinating, isn't it? Who knows where this is going to go. End end of the day, if it does go through, is it going to affect most people? Probably not, but hopefully if we can see the pros getting a better gig gig out of it. Well, well, let's let's do some vision thinking here, John. Let's say they get it. Mm. Ten years from now, if it were to be a successful broadcasting sport where top pros were at least partially known, you know, worldwide, what would be different about sport? Well, I think it goes back to what we've said for ages and what Mac has sort of said as well. You'd probably have those championship events where you're seeing all the pros go head-to-head a bit more regularly in terms of, so you have your Grand Slams. So rather than everybody being spread out a lot more in the current format with lots and lots of Ironman races, it might be maybe you have the pros that are contracted, a bit like Super League, and you, you attend these particular races, then you're not chasing points, you're not chasing money, you're going, well, I know I'm going to be getting paid X, Y, Z, um, I'm a contracted person, I can do these races here, I've got a requirement to do them, and then I can go and do, go off and do other races if I so choose. But from, from a viewer's point of view, that's what I want to see, is a bit like ITU, when you rock up and you watch Ironman Germany, it's not Langer versus Fredino, it's basically another version of Kona, a different location. Kona would still always be the the big business but that's what I'd like to see is just more racing more often and uh, not more racing more often more more competitive fields going head to head throughout the year Uh, here's a question because to me the biggest problem broadcasting is it's never going to be an appealing sport no you know so does 70.3 with some innovations become the sport you know like if you think of like doing 70.3 is probably you could or even do like a three hour race Mm mm-hmm you know, we're thinking broadcasting. Three hours is still a long time of broadcasting. Mm-hmm. Most sports are probably a couple hours. I just don't think any. I, don't, I think anything over an hour is probably too much. I just think Super highlights packages is, or Super League. Yeah, you have but at the end straight after the race. Um, boom, you're going to production mode like a Tour de France. It's very rare that I'll sit down and watch a Tour de France stage, but I'll be look going in for that thirty to sixty minute highlights package every day. If they could turn that round before you bloody see every single result online. I mean, I know these days with social media that's going to be difficult, but from a consumer point of view, that's what I'd like to see is yesterday I was watching <clears throat> just the finish of Ironman Chattanooga just because I had a couple of an athlete racing. Um, but if you could turn around a result uh, a package that night and have a half-hour highlights package of the pros, I'd bloody be watching that for sure. Yeah, but do we get Joe Public onto that? That's the, that's the big, you know, because you and I aren't the people who are trying to hit here. Mm-hmm. It's It's... 
Joe's dad. Yeah. You know, who, who loves sport. You know, he's retired. He, he'll watch it. You know, spend a couple of hours a day watching sport. He loves it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, got, uh, and sailing's a really good example of this. So what's happening in America in, in sailing? America, for those who don't know much, New Zealand's kind of good at America's Cup and we're currently the winners. But it's a funny sport because if you win the Cup, you get to make all the rules about the next race. Bizarre. <laughs> it's really bizarre. So you win and there's suddenly everything changes and that's what's just happened recently because the guy who owns Oracle, um, Larry... Allison. Larry Allison. He was with he was a big sponsor. He basically won the Cup for a few period and was doing some really cool innovations. The New Zealand team won the last one and have just totally changed it all. Mm-hmm. Now he's kind of said, screw you, put the fingers up and started his own league. And Joe's dad mm-hmm. was saying, oh my God, you've got to watch this, Ameri- this new league of yacht racing that's happening. It's really mm-hmm. awesome and it's been TV packaged and he's mm-hmm. just said it's really good sport. And traditionally, if you're going, who wants to watch sailing? Mm-hmm. You know, and so to me, it's something like that with triathlon. And I'm, I don't know if Ironman's the answer. I don't know if you can ever oh, make no. it. It's, it's, it's a, no, he's going to sit there and watch it for eight hours. Uh, but why is the Tour de France able to do that? Because it's a half-hour highlights package. But so most people won't watch the. Uh, Phil's about the only person I know that watches <laughs> the full stages. Or if you're going to sit on your trainer, again, it's a really, really but, hard. But in core. Europe, it's on all day. It, it does get massive broadcasting. That's true. I don't think there's that many people that sit there and watch it. They'll have it on in the background, but they won't be sitting there watching it. A bit like probably how you would watch away. I mean, yeah. you probably don't watch that much of it. But you probably have it on in the background. You yeah. come and go, and when the action's sort of starting to heat up, what they do in Tour de France, scenic courses, they're bringing in um, interesting information as you're going through the ride. Uh, good commentary and yeah the Tour de France majority of it is boring as batshit they're just riding along in a peloton yet the the good camera work and, and so on that actually makes it kind of appealing well that's to me like because uh, Sam Renoff has got here you know broadcasting is the future well how are we going to do that hmm. you know, there's seven me. cameras in Kona because you spent yeah. 750 million dollars hmm. you've got to figure that one out don't you so interesting times ahead okay John it's got to be awesome at- if they pull this off it'd just be bloody incredible well, I think the fact that it's, got, it's been such a disappointing IPO works in their favour. Oh, totally. You know, so we, I posted on our Facebook page. You know, has anybody heard anything more of this? And apparently, we're not going to hear anything else um, because once it's uh, yeah. sort of you made the approach, you know, it's all going to be hush hush, and yep. we're not going to hear anything. And they got told to to make it public that they made their approach. So mm. he said they can't really talk about anything after the fact. Okay, John, we did have a couple of races on the weekend. One pro race and a pretty interesting result at Ironman Chattanooga. Yeah, tough conditions on the run course. Uh, so Sam Long took this out. He's a young fellow, 23-year-old. 20, he's got a, he's, uh, seems like a real colourful sort of character. He swam 47, rode a 4.23, only ran a 3.06, which you're going, wowzers, that's pretty slow. But the conditions looked extremely hot, so it was 8.22. When you got Matt Russell, who we know you know shows time and time again, he's a quality runner in the sort of 240s range consistently. Uh, he also ran a 3.06, so, so it must have been extremely difficult out there. Um, and Nicholas Chase was in third place. So Americans took out one through nine on the men's side and only two four five went under nine hours so a big part of that is the conditions also the, the quality of field uh, on the female side we had Angela Nath took it out uh, in 918 again you know she's a quality athlete ran three hours and 20 minutes uh, for a 918.45 she swam 51 rode five hours 51 seconds and ran a 320 Lisa Roberts was in second uh, around about four minutes behind and 
and Lenny Ramsey was in third another five minutes back. So all these athletes are going towards Kona next year. So Sam Long and Angela Nath have got their slots. A um, little bit about Sam Long. He's mainly done 70.3s. And been successful. He won Chattanooga, Victoria. He got um, Napier Valley Marathon, so he ran a marathon as well. So he's, he's for 23, he's, he's got some pedigree. He has, and he's, he's a trip, one of three, he's a triplet by the sound of it. Oh, wow. And, uh, and I, I was reading a year or two ago, he went over to Australia and, and sort of uh, decided he really was going to make this a go once he finished college and become try to become a pro athlete. And yeah, and he's, you know, he's had some okay results. Last year, he had a sixth in Boulder, um, had a bunch of Good races at 70.3s, but this is definitely a breakthrough race. And he actually won uh, in Chattanooga earlier in the year, the 70.3s, so he certainly likes going to race race there. Uh, and then Angela Nath, um, not going to Kona, because she had a fantastic race last year, finished in 8th place after struggling to qualify. She'd had various um, sickness challenges, but she was racing all over the place, didn't qualify, um, or did, did qualify, got 8th, which was awesome. Um, but hasn't had a very good season so far this year, so she's not over there um, for this year, which is a shame. Oh, really? Which, you know, she's probably one of the the ones who suffered a bit f- due to um, the new qualifying system. She's had some some podiums and what have you, but she hasn't been able to crack a win. How many? How many? Uh, uh, we could probably figure this out. How many people have qualified for Kona already before Kona happens? It'll be probably. I, I would guess about three or four. Well, uh, actually. No, we can go to go to tryrating.com while okay. I talk, yep. and uh, and Torsten's got a 2020 uh, okay. tab up there. What I will say, I've got to give Torsten a bit of a um, reprieve, because apparently last week I was saying he didn't have the KQ next to some yep. people's names, so I knew we were racing us through saying... Yeah. Yep. And and apparently that's well, no, not apparently. It's because Torsten is onto it, and these people. This is got to remember. This is for Kona next year. So there's very few qualifiers so far. How many have we got, Bevan? Okay. In the male side, we've got seven. Uh, Fredino Langer. Um, oh, they're legacy ones. Yeah. Yep, and then legacy, and then um, female, we've got five. Mm. And it's included. but how many actually qualifiers when you take out the ones who have got to validate? One, two, three, four men. So we've got Wisconsin, Wales, Italy, and four, Chattanooga. Four, eight. Mm. And then uh, we're having some more racing this weekend in Barcelona, so that'll be sort of uh, nine each side. Yeah. Quite a few. Quite a lot. Percentage-wise, quite a few. Yeah. All right, yeah. Um, Okay, we had Ironman Maryland happen as well. This was an age group only race. We did indeed. Um, And we had... Because all men age group race. Was, no, it no. Men, was it men only? No, no, men men and women. So Quentin DeVos took that out to a sub three hour marathon to round out his day uh, and he needed it because he ran down David Morris. Uh, so Quentin DeVos from Belgium, he went 8.46.35 to win by just over a minute from David Morris from the UK who, who ran a 3.14. So he took 14 minutes out of him on the run and then Bradley Fleming from, uh, where's he from? Looks like South Africa was in third place on the females side of things. That's overall age groupers. Come on. Few Come on, I'm in website. Megan Philnow took that out in 9.37 um, by about nine minutes over Marinda Tomlinson and Ricario Rodriguez Velario was in third in 10.03. It's pretty big gaps here on the female side of things. Uh, I'm in Taiwan was also another age group only race. So what happened there, Jombo? 
now this got got to say the the times over here uh cheapers 11 hours and 8 minutes for the first female athlete wow that's um, pretty slow ninjna magosaki uh, she 11 hours and 8 minutes winning the age group by the do- no winning overall by the dojo domination back to 11:34 for Mandy Tick and Artelia Strapper was in third and 11:37 on the male side of things in Ironman Taiwan we had Taihi Kamea <laughs> well done was in first place with a 9:27 second Boss Heish uh, in 933 and Harrison Belfield, thanks for the nice name Harrison, uh, in third and 938. Also John here had a link to the run course with one oh. section of the run where you got to, that looks like a pretty bloody... I was kind of wondering, so the, those times in Taiwan were pretty pretty slow, uh, obviously in, in Asia you can get some pretty difficult uh, conditions, but I also looked at their run course, it's kind of unique, so there's one stretch on the run course where you're basically just going along, it's, it sort of looks like it's in a harbour and you're going along this sort of quay, yeah. and you're going up and down um, eight times, not following your exact footpath, you're kind of going inside yourself each time, but geez, that'd be a pretty good uh, hot spot if you're a spectator. Well, and also you do four laps. So you're doing that times like 32 times? No, no. No, I think that little stretch there is four laps of that little funny stretch. Oh. Yeah, from, from point E to D. But at the top, that little, little, <clears throat> look at that little that thing there, the little kind of course guide. It's got A, B, C, D, E, F, four laps. God, if you did do that, that's a lot of turnarounds <laughs> if that's correct. Jeepers creepers. I think it is because, look, it's got... 4.6, 6, 6.5, 9.2, 15.2, 17.1, 19, 25, 27, 30, 30. Wowzers, if that is correct, that's a pretty tight, compact little course. Far out, yeah. <laughs> you think people... If you did Ironman Taiwan, tell us, tell us if it was really a four-lap run or not, because uh, it's a lot of a lot of turns. Okay, we had 70.3. Augusta happened. Sanders took it out, had a solo run of 1.12. And then Chelsea... Uh, Soldano, uh, equally impressive with their 119 for the run. In really hot conditions as well. So I, I listened to Sanders' post-race interview and he had a good battle out there. He was pretty pretty happy with where he's at. So he's, he hasn't got a lot of speed there for um, for 70.3, so it kind of feels like he's sort of on, on track-ish what, for Kona. 112's not too bad. 112's <laughs> not too bad. Uh, I will say, he, he, does, he seems to have lost that hitch in his run because they had a little bit of footage of him running oh, okay. and he, it sounds like he's worked really hard to get rid of that I don't follow all of Lionel Sanders stuff and I know I saw one thing that he has talked about it but he seems to have lost that hitch so I'm going to be really interested to see how he goes in Kona I'm not putting, putting him on my top five but uh, it would be it'll be interesting to see what he does I think this year's our pick's going to be pick's going to be hard we have to do them this week we do or we can do them later in the week for next week's show okay. um, Butterfield uh, Cosmel yeah, so 70.3 in Cozumel. Um, Tyler Butterfield's still going strong. Smoked them all on the run, uh, which is impressive. He must be getting a bit long in the tooth. And Ali Salthouse took out the females. Oh, good times. John, coming up this weekend, we've got Ironman Barcelona. We have, so there'll be more people qualifying for Kona for next year, both in the pros and the age groupers. Top seed there on Torsten's ratings is Ivan Tuk- 
Tukin from Russia with Yaroslav Kovacic in second place on the seedings. We've got Frederick Van Leert who will be wearing the number one bib uh, as the third highest seed, uh, as the sort of probably the most famous athlete that's racing along with Christian Kramer wearing number three and Nick Castelline wearing number two. Uh, big field. So you've got 49, you've probably got about nearly 60 I'd say odd, uh, or 66 athletes racing. It's quite a few. Charles I'd say gonna, watch out for Florian Angert. He's a 70.3 athlete. He hasn't done an Ironman by the look of it. Okay, Black Lake Extreme. Hold on. And then the female side. Oh, sorry. Angela Nath has got an asterisk next to her name. She yeah. raced last weekend, so I'll be it. surprised if she doubles up. Julia Geiger and Sarah Svensson are the other three top-seeded athletes. Okay, John's got a race here. He's talking about Black Lake Extreme. The swim in the Black Lake Sorry, Black Lake Extreme. Um, the swim in the back Black Lake will be a unique experience. A natural bridge will cross between the Black and Small Lake to add an extra element of excitement. We should also highlight that the race starts at 5am. Bike is 187 kilometres with 3,200 metres of elevation. For the first 70 km of the bike ride will be scenic and fairly straightforward with a number of descents. But what goes down must come up you can prepare for that while riding past the steepest canyon in europe taro river canyon and over the how to say that one john poor it's a the something bridge tara bridge yep the tara bridge mm-hmm. <laughs> uh run 42.2k and 2600 meters elevation more than 80 percent of the run is through the mountain and forest trails so prepare yourself for a beautiful run in nature the finish is at the top of the salvin cluck uh, which is 2,300 metres high, and you'll need to support a support runner for the last 4K. So, so another one of these X-Tries, you go check it out, blackxtry.com. Uh, uh, 2,600 metres elevation on the run is quite a lot. 3,200 on the bikes, pretty solid, but 2,600 on the run. Looks f- fantastic. It's in uh, Montenegro. I checked out their start list. I think they've got less than 50 starters, which I think is probably um, par for the cause on, on a lot of these extreme races. And I do wonder how the hell these races can actually survive, but um, when you've only got like 50 people racing, but I suppose the overheads for these are probably pretty minimal because you're not offering any support out there. You, yeah. you don't have any marshals on any corners. Yep. Um, of course, you probably have to have some water safety, but uh, I wonder how strict that is in some places. Uh, and then on the run, you're telling people they have to have a support person and be self-supported as well. So other than your yeah, marketing and, and what have you, I don't know, costs probably aren't that high, so maybe they will survive. John's on to your update. They had Super League happen over the weekend, but they had some bad weather. They did, and it's, uh, they, last year they had bad weather as well, and this time around they cancelled the, the bike leg on the day two, so they had a sort of a, what they called a semi-finals on day one, and they took the top five from each semi-final and the five fastest losers through to the final, and the final got turned into a uh, swim run, swim run? Well, anyway, they just got rid of the bikes. Uh, swim run must have been swim run, swim run, swim run. And I haven't actually watched it yet. I've seen the results. Um, but it's all up on their Facebook page in terms of the coverage. And uh, on, also on Triathlon Live, that I know they had the semifinals up there. So if you need some good trainer fodder, go and check out Super League. And at that time of the year, in that location, it's always a bit dodgy. I mean, it's out in the middle of nowhere as it is on, was it? on Jersey. On uh, Jersey, yeah. And so just, I just saw the footage. It looked windy as hell and pretty miserable. So good that they got some sort of event out of it. Okay. The next question is, John, and we haven't got this in notes. Rugby World Cup update, because I know American listeners love this. Mm-hmm. I, last week I said it's looking like the All Blacks and the Irish. Oh, goodness. Did you watch it? No. Did you? Yeah. 
that's why I paid to put you paid for the World mm. Cup, John. How much have you watched so I've far? I've made a real big error there. I should not have paid for it. <laughs> I've hardly watched anything. I'll, hopefully, I'll get my money's worth in the quarterfinals. Tell you what, it was so Japan, who is a second tier nation. Jeez, mm-hmm. they played awesomely. So that, for, for American listeners, uh, this would probably be, I don't know, similar to probably Japan beating America in NBA almost. Not maybe not quite that quite like that, but it'd be like a, a pretty weak team beating your NBA all star team. And, they, and and the thing about it was it. Ireland, it wasn't that Ireland had a shit game. Mm. The Japanese were awesome, man. Their defence mm. in the last 20 minutes, they were just gutsy, mm. man. It was just awesome sport. And did you watch the Wales versus Australia? I watched, did watch a few minutes of that. A few minutes? Yeah. So you, your risk was really painful. I was just going, I've got to get some, something out of this bloody money that I've spent. <laughs> watched a little bit of that. Who's your pick for the win now? Uh, we've still got a we're home and host. Got to say, the European teams, because the thing about the Rugby World Cup is if your team doesn't win... You want a Southern Hemisphere team to win eight. <laughs> yeah. And I'm sure it's the same with the European teams. If, if, if their team doesn't win, you want at least a Southern Hemisphere. Yeah. Now, for those who know nothing about rugby, historically, the Southern Hemisphere has dominated the World Cup. How many has it been? Seven? Yep. English have won one. One. And, yeah. and then it's all Southern Hemisphere teams. Yeah. So so we are definitely the better part of the world. <laughs> so. And so my, we want Australia to win. But who would you pick out of South Africa and Australia? If I, you I want the Saffirs. Saffirs? Yeah, I'd say Saffirs too. and Just because Checker, I struggle with Checker. Yeah. You know, I just don't really struggle. You know what? Actually, I want Australia to win because they need it. Yeah. Because Australian rugby so is a, out dying. Of, out of pity, you want them I, to win. Well, no, because, you know, like, if Australian rugby is good, it's good for all black rugby. Mm. You know, we need competition. And the last, oh, don't get me started on Australian rugby, it's the poor things. So, yep, actually, I want this. But in the, in the picks at the gym, mm-hmm. I've got the Saffirs. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, so there we go. Okay, John. Uh, hot topic of the week. So we last week got an email through from. Now I've got their name in here, so I'm going to get it out here, John. I got an email from somebody. It was really just asking around whether or not the cutoff times should be different on hard courses. And the example was from Vici, where they had a really high DNF rate. I think it was at the 70.3 this year because they changed the course from being advertised to being flat to, to hilly, or that might have been what they're actually doing next year. Maybe that's next year. But anyway, the, the question was if it's a really hard course, should there be a different cutoff time? And it's by Carla Chandler. Uh, right, Alan Bryson, the challenge is to complete within the cutoff. They are not meant to be easy and accommodate everyone. If the course appeals, uh, appears too challenging, then find an event that has an easier course. To add, if you break it down, you need to swim 3 minute 41 per 100 metre pace, ride at 22.5 kilometres and run at 9 minutes per K. This allows 10 minutes at each transition. I think these are achievable for most who are willing to put their mind to the task. Okay, good old uh, Deborah Neal has got, I always thought cutoff times were pretty generous, but for the sake of hundreds of volunteers helping at Ironman events, a cutoff is required. Athletes should be ready in shape for such times. Well, how are uh, He says there's no consistency anyway. I've done quite a few Ironmans and many have different cutoff times. 15 hours for Germany, 16 hours for Vici, 17 hours for Lanzarote. Uh, I say choose your race and train to compete. Complete in the given cutoff. P.S. Ironman Vici this year was my first DNF. Sorry about that, Will. He did 1601. <laughs> did he? No, I'm joking. Because no. uh, it was a 16-hour cutoff. Mick Simpson has got here. No, I don't think they should be. Plenty of people who are helping at the race will be out there for a long time after the last competitor has come through. Need to be considerate of them. Uh, Drew Sapp. No, minus... Ex- 
except extreme cases such as very difficult races like Muskoka. It's hard to gauge how fast a course is simply by how hard it is. There are so many factors that come into play from weather to length of transition. I believe you need to have a single time. We've all done courses where that were supposed to be fast only to go slow on a time and vice versa. Okay, Adam Laycott's got, I thus, I asked thus. <laughs> uh, this is, as there are many advantages to support crews following an athlete, but are they a true triathlons? I'm not quite sure what he means here. Yeah. Travis George, no, the varying degrees of difficulty are part of the challenge. Ironman is not meant to be easy. I don't think there's anybody here that says yes, they should be longer. I guess, I think as Will Hogarth said, uh, it's whether they should be shorter in some races. Well, Peter Colson's got that here. I think all Ironman should have a shorter cut of 15 hours. Kona should be even less. Everyone qualifies for it, so they should be good athletes. It would be a world championship after all, not a local race. Well, I think we know from Kona, there's a lot of people there that have gotten through through other means, and I'm surprised often how how many people are out there um, in that sort of 16 hours. So that's when it comes into to legacy athletes, um, in the past been lottery athletes. So Kona is more spread out than than what a lot of people think. I, I was um, oh okay, wait a second. So the thing was responding to Adam Laycock, and he's got mm. the question I have for listeners is: Are supported events like Norsemen a real triathlon? The real triathlon, but they're different. Yeah, different. Yeah. So I think for for, for your normal said no, basically. your normal Ironman and Challenge sort of branded races or anything other than X Man, I agree that I think seventeen hours is sufficient. Uh, and I don't know if there really needs to be any consistency. I'm I'm kind of happy with the how it is at the moment. And as you, you know, as long as your race organisers outline things nice and clearly from the get go and say these are the rules, then I kind of agree with most people. You've got to be in shape to be able to. To, to do that I would say though you know for the people that are sort of um, maybe digging into the people that are at the back of the pack um, I know for a fact you know I've coached a, a number of people over the years who are sort of in that 16 hour bracket and a number of them train their asses off probably harder than a lot of faster athletes that I've coached uh, and they're just slower um, yeah. or they're older and they just don't go as fast well so, it's like my running groups my most the hardest mental athletes aren't always the fastest ones. Yeah, and so I think it's 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 a bit rich to sometimes dig into those people who are at the back of the field. So sometimes maybe it's valid and people are totally unprepared and, and they get what they deserve. I think, um, but I think you know I don't think the, the the cutoff times need to be extended anyway. So interesting discussion and yeah, I kind of like how things are rolling at the moment. Where yeah, if you go to Rote uh, or I'm in Germany, you know you've got less time and you've just got to prepare accordingly. I know good old Lee Davidson. She came on our rote camp yep. uh, a couple of years ago she was well aware you know she's somebody who's is towards the, the cutoff times and she was looking at going well this is what i need to be doing to to make sure i get in under time yeah i kind of feel it's about right mm. you know i've got to say as a guy who's who's done meet like done voice work at nine man it's a long day oh <laughs> uh, yeah totally it's a long day and the middle when i was doing challenge one like a voice because it was a bit different because it's it, the, a lot more spread out. Yeah, and, and after a certain point in time, it's like 30 minutes between each person. Um, and so luckily we always got great fans, so we just make a party atmosphere. So we kind of made it really cool and everyone just come and dance and put music on. It was actually quite fun. But, you, you know, and admittedly as someone who's doing commenting, I did it all the wrong way because I basically got there and I worked all day. <laughs> and you were meant to have breaks and Mark and I kind of just end up hanging around. 
if you do it right, you should probably leave for four hours, go have a nap and come back. One thing I was really surprised at, and maybe this is a norm, I don't, I'm not typically watching finish line um, footage of races, but I had a guy racing in uh, Chattanooga yesterday and he did 16 hours. Um, and I was surprised how many people were coming across the line in 16 hours. Now, granted, it was very difficult conditions there, very, very hot. Yep. Um, but it was a stream of athletes coming across around the 16-hour mark. And I heard the commentator saying, well, they had 50, 50 minutes to go to a cutoff, and there were still 200 athletes on the course. Wow. So, I don't know, when, I, when, when I've maybe been at Ironman New Zealand or something and you go out at about that 16 hour time it's it's not like it's a ghost town but there's just a random athlete here or there whereas, I wonder when was the last time I did Ironman New Zealand and yeah, went out at that time yeah so if anybody's got any stats on that I'd love to see you know um, you know in a typical race whether, whether it's um, American centric whether it's a bit more European based you know if there's bigger clumps of athletes that are that are testing the boundaries of the uh, the time limit and getting their value for money make sure you're getting maximum new sports nutrition while you're out there you know every hour well, of the day well, I also think it's probably reflective of an older athlete in the sport mm-hmm. you know we're probably getting more of the people in that 60 to 70 range happening to do the sport uh, whereas in the old days you had them but they were kind of an outlier mm-hmm. whereas maybe the field's a bit more in that part of the race at least mm-hmm. yeah because you know older people are older athletes are a part of the game now aren't they absolutely yeah okay this week's discussion we've, we've had many discussions about the discussion what'd you come up with in the end <laughs> what would be the best case scenario from a viewer perspective when it comes to watching Iron Man Hawaii in a couple of weeks um, in terms of how it unfolds uh, from the elite race point of view so what I'm meaning there I'll put my one out there for, for now in the females race somebody having like a seven eight minute lead on Daniela Reef coming off the bike so she's got to run a you know a low to mid 250 to actually run somebody down so say say Lucy Charles got a yeah seven minute lead on Daniela Reef so Lucy's a good runner um and so it will come down to the wire from mine from the guy's perspective so I'll put it out there now would be to have Brownlee, Fredino and Langer uh cresting Palani Hill together on the run running shoulder to shoulder well you've ruined the next discussion I know, well, we're not going to have a chance to do it anyway because we're going to be pre-recording. Uh. So that's my for next week is having those three right, so guys. Brownlee, Fredino. Brownlee, Fredino and Langer cresting the top of the Palani Hill. So you've got... So a bit like Mark and Dave. Yeah, but a three-horse race with... Who are you um, picking? With, no, the, no I'm, I'm talking on the way out. So you've still got... the way got, out. Um, so 10 miles or roughly so to go. And then... Because uh, if it was a, coming a back... Battle on the Brownlee, Queen K. Yeah. Oh God, who knows? When you come into the last it's mile, hard to know. Who, who would know? But I want to but see. When, where was the Iron War? Where was that? That was still that was about five k out, wasn't it? No, that was, that, no, that was coming up. Um, Mark and Dave Hills. So no, that's only three k out, maybe. Okay, or so yeah, about three, if that. Two, two so who would you pick of those three? If there's three k to go, You've got to go Langer, don't you? Uh, In an Ironman marathon. God, I don't know who I'd go. No, I'd probably go Brownlee. Mm, probably really? Brownlee. It's hard to know what he'd be like. With three k to go. If it's going on the way out, then I'd probably put my money on. You've got to get Langer. He's the fastest side member, isn't I'll go Frodo still. <laughs> I've got no <laughs> faith in him. <laughs> I won't pick him. It's in my DNA. It's like somewhere pre-programmed at birth. Do not pick Patrick Langer for anything. He's, he's been the fastest runner the last three years. But yeah. Even when when Fredino was there. Yeah, Fredino all the way. Langer didn't do any ITU. I can't like. I think that's the thing. He didn't do ITU. Got no no respect for him. <laughs> What's the love? Okay, so this week's discussion is what would be the best case scenario from a viewer perspective when it comes to watching Iron Man unfold in terms of the elite race. Can you help me with some music now, Bevan? Okay, oh. here we go. Here we go. Here's the music. 
Coaches Corner. Okay, John, you've got your flash cube, cube bike. Um, so you can see a picture up. Ben's going to have it as the main Where do people go to see them? Uh, in New Zealand, we've got uh, Bicycle Concepts down Timaru, or just basically search cube online um, okay. there's a german brand um but yeah as i said in the intro uh, the reason i want to bring this up people keep asking me about you know the equipment that i use and and i thought it might be useful to actually explain the equipment but also why i've actually made particular choices so i will say as a disclaimer um that you know some of these items are sponsored um but i don't pick shitty things so uh Oh, you don't. I like looking. You're, 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 you're a snobby, snobby snob. person. So I'm sort of just going to run through. Oh, can I sponsor you? No, it's not good enough. No, you're not good <laughs> enough for me. Uh, so as I said, there's a good picture up on um, on the imtalk.me in terms of looking at my cube bike. So starting from the, the wheels up, I've got Profile Design 78 uh, tubulars. Now, what I'd say with regards to my wheel selection, as you all know, Bevan and I are both tight asses. Um, and, so, and so the reason I choose the 78s is they give me the most versati- versatility in terms of various different conditions. So you only need one set? One set. So in, in a perfect world, you know, I'd have different um, wheels for different conditions. You know, a disc is always going to be, not always, is going to be your fastest in, in a lot of conditions. Um, but then you've got to have a disc, and you, if you go over in Kona, then you've got to have a different wheel for Kona, etc. So disc is usually best, um, but for most people that's not necessarily an affordable option. Uh, and also some people's bike skills don't necessarily warrant being able to ride one. Um, if I was to have another wheel selection, I'd have a slightly deeper rear rim and stick with the 78 on the front. That would be my sort of second option. Um, and then the reason I've got 78s is because then from in Kona, they're going to be okay even on a, on a windy day and they just give me that, that versatility. Um, I ride tubulars still, um, mainly just because I'm old school um, in terms of performance of now, tubulars. Is that, a, is, is, that a, is that a dead trade? Do many people ride them now? I know, pe- know plenty of people still, still ride them. Um, but and I also think part of it is in a race situation, being able to change them quickly is is easier with a tubular as long as you haven't got them so glued on that you can't even get them off. Because I know if I got a puncher in a race, um, trying to actually do uh, do it with uh, clinches, I'd be a bit slower, a bit flustered, a bit more flustered. Where when you got tubulars, you just rip the bastard off and uh, and get it back on there. Of course, then if you don't know anything about tubulars, then you've got to be a bit careful if it's not um, glued on. Yep. but you'll be able to get yourself to the finish line quicker. When you do get a flatty with tubulars, do you do It's the, an expensive exercise. Oh, what would it cost you for a tubular? Um, maybe a hundy. It depends, it depends what sort of quality. But do you do the... <laughs> yeah, so then you'd use pit stop, but you do, you do the same with... Um, Does pit stop work well? Well, I've never had to test oh, it myself wood. personally. <laughs> so I know I'm, I'm going to regret this, but I've been racing now since 1991, 26 years, never had a puncture in a race. Touch wood right now, John Newsome. <laughs> is this good quality wood over here? Yeah, that's good touch. quality. Touch it, touch it, because seriously, your next race, can he get there? He just got there. God, that was a bit of a stretch. Done my hammy for the day. So yeah, uh, so that's just been pure luck. Okay, in terms of my componentry on my new bike now, I've got DI2 11 speed. Um, if you haven't experienced DI2 before, it's pretty good, um, but there is always that risk when you're using electronics. So pe- if people don't know what DI2 is, it's automatic shifting. Uh, so it's just like clicking a button up and down. It is pretty wicked, but you know I've had 
a number of athletes over the years whose DI2 is locked up on race day and the first thing that happens is then you're restricted um, in terms of you're unable to change your... Um, is it, is it not, a, not a manual override? No. So you're yeah. kind of a bit screwed, especially if you're on a, on a sort oh, of a yeah. rolling course. So the first thing that happens is you lose your front chain ring, um, so then you're spinning in your small chain ring and then once it goes completely flat, then you're stuck in, in one gear. How often do you have to charge it? Not not very regularly, but it, you'd it always often, charge it before a race, but wouldn't you? You would, but often the issues seem to happen um, when travelling. You know, you go a year years without any issues, but when travelling, some and that's probably a whole other topic for another day is make what to do with Di two when travelling. Mm. Um, in terms of my chain rings, I've got Q rings, so that means they're oval shaped, which so you know normally chain rings are just circular. So I've got a, a fifty four Q ring oval shaped, uh, and then a forty two on the inside. So fifty four is decent sized gear, which really helps for especially sort of Kona conditions um, when you're coming down from Harvey and what have you uh, start pumping out a really nice big gear and actually be pedaling that downhill in terms of the Q ring um, whether that's beneficial or not kind of ho-hum don't really it's hard, one of those things that's really hard to What's tell. What's a Q-ring? A Q-ring, so it's sort of slightly oval-shaped. Oh, yeah. yeah. And you can get ones that are even more oval-shaped than what I've got. Um, but it looked funny, eh? Because when I was a kid, my mountain bike had that. Mm. And it's all a big rage because, you know, Chris Froome started using them and, and what have you. Um, personally, what I've found with them is I just seem to have run better since I started them. Whether that was that or it was another factor, I don't know. So I've just kind of kind of rolled with it. Um, my cassette on the back, I run, or the one that I've got sitting on there at the moment, is an 11 to 23 cassette. Um, if you're if you're still riding 10 speed, 11 speed again, like Do2, makes a really nice difference. Just that one extra gear, especially when you're on the, when you're on the flat, is can be really really helpful. Um, now I've got an 11 23 on there, but I definitely would say. That's just enough for me for Rote and Kona. If I was to be racing anywhere hillier than that, then I'd, I'd be changing my cassette. And I think that's an error a lot of people make is not changing their cassette out for, for, for different courses. So as I said, I've got 11.23. If I was going anywhere hillier than Kona or Rote, I'd, I'd be getting a 25 on there. And if I was going to a flat course anywhere, that you know, say a pancake course like... Um, Perth or, or somewhere, uh, not Perth, um, Bustleton, somewhere like that, then I'd be changing to an 11.23. The reason for that is then every gear change is only one tooth uh, and you can just find that perfect gear. The bigger your range of cassette, the harder, it's, the harder it is to find that perfect gear. Uh, final thing in terms of my componentry sort of setup, I've got 165mm cranks, um, so that's shorter than standard. Uh, again, since I've been on those, I've typically been running better. Um, again, whether it was that, whether it's other changes that I made, hard to know exactly, um, but the key, when I, from my belief, when you're riding 165s, you've really got to keep your cadence up nice and high okay. and also your hill climbing sort of my hill climbing suffers a bit because of it uh, in terms of my frame I've got a cube Arium C68SL uh, first thing is it looks pretty awesome do you think when you looked at that picture Bevan, yeah, I, was, I, going, th I thought you liked Batman you think I like Batman yeah. so the, the version I've got is uh, all black carbon looks wicked uh, really nice and aerodynamic it's got a big um, chunky around, area around the bottom bracket um, what I've noticed as I've gone through different time trial frames so I went from a, an Avanti frame to my Sipo and now onto the Cube is consistently across all three sort of generations that I've gone through is consistently getting better in terms of how the bikes handle and how they climb um, old, older TT bikes are pretty sluggish when it comes to climbing and especially when it comes to descending. What's the difference? It just feels better when you're, when you're climbing and descending you've got more, you're better handling And why? Um, why? 
they've obviously looked at the the geometry a bit bit better. Okay. Um, but yeah, just for me, the first ride I had on the on the cube, uh, just thought. I was looking at it going, oh, I wonder how this is going to climb and ascend. That's the first thing I think. Uh, it looks, and it just went fantastic and uh, performed really well. So I raced on that in the Kona 70.3. Um, the other things with the Cube race, uh, the Cube Arium is it's got a detachable front drink system. So it kind of, again, that looks awesome and you don't have to go out and buy anything else to tack on between your aero bars. Uh, and it's got a nice storage box that you can also uh, tack on the front end as well, which is pretty easy to take on and off. So I don't train with that on, just put it on for, for come race day. And then a couple of the final things that I've got, so I've got the XLab products in terms of an Aero TT bottle, um, which is awesome because it's really, really aerodynamic, so this is the bottle that I put on my, my frame, uh, so you've got to, you know, if you're picturing this beautiful, from a front-on version, you know, beautiful aerodynamic frame, and then if you, you look, at it, look at it, and then you've got this bottle bulging out from the side when everything else from a front uh, perspective is nice and aero, that's going to cost you quite a bit of, um, you know, aerodynamics and, and drag so I've got the aero bottle on there um, obviously the downside of having an aero bottle on your frame is you can then can't replace it um, mid-race but that actually doesn't bother me whatsoever because I'll be using that aero bottle um, with my concentrate of whatever nutrition I'm using and I'll be using that to fill up my front bottle so it works perfectly in terms uh, of looking good looking aerodynamic being really lightweight and then on the back behind my seat um, this is the the latest thing that I've got is the carbon wing which which is awesome because so that's how my bottles are attached behind the seat. Um, the reason why I like it so much is previously I've been forever mucking around, taping tubulars on, taping um, CO2 canisters on, trying to make sure that they don't fall off, fit my race number in there and it's generally looked, I've got this beautiful bike and it looks like a complete melee behind my seat. Um, but now I've got the carbon wing, the tubular fits in there perfectly, I've got two bottles, I can um, screw. What is it, it's a little bit that goes underneath is it? Under yeah, your so it just, seat. It just stra your straps onto the back of your seat and uh, when I installed it, it was remarkably easy uh, and then you just got your two bottles out to the side and then you can uh, you can screw your co2 canisters onto the back which okay. is great so again you don't have to wrap them into your your tires and tape all that stuff up uh, and then on the inside you can also store a few other bits and bobs as well so really nice and compact again really lightweight and uh, if it's good enough Daniela reef bevan should be good enough for the rest of us. So, uh, and also it doesn't move. So some one, uh, systems I've had in the past have bounced around a little bit yep. more. Um, this stays nice and stable. So I really like those uh, two XAir products, which have been fairly recent uh, innovations for me. Final piece of the puzzle that I've got on there. I oh know two pieces of the puddle, puzzle. Um, uh, go to Max Power Meter. I've had that since I it was either 2012 or 2013, and I've had no issues with it the whole way through. And I'm not sponsored by them at all. It's just I went on the bike. It's been on about four different frames uh, and never had an issue with it. Just Recently I've got a crack in the little cover um, but that was, I think it was €3.99 to replace the cover. Uh, so that's worked perfectly on my TT bike. I've got a different one on my road bike. Uh, and then final thing for me, I've got the Adamo uh, Attack seat and that's one of the ones that's got the sort of two beams down the side. Uh, again, not sponsored by them or anything but I found that really, really comfortable for sitting in the aero position. Not so much when you're sitting up but most of the time we're down in, in aero and um, so I've liked that. Well, so question a rundown. What don't you have that you wish you did have? Well, disc wheel to start with would be would be great. Um, what do you pay for a disc wheel? Sorry, what do you pay? Oh, don't know off the top of my head, but you know, thousand to two thousand. Okay. I'd add a guess. 
that would probably be the one thing in terms of actually on my bike that I don't have. I think the rest I'm pretty happy with. I guess trying to think out loud if there's anything else. Jeez, that bike's just different to when I was riding doing the sport. I don't know what. Don't, look, it's a machine now. It looks like a tank. It's, it is a beautiful looking thing, my bike. Yeah. Have, a, have a look on IamTalk.me and uh, it does look pretty funky. They're pretty cool now, these guys. And there is something to be said when you rock How up with a funky look. It's uh, uh, TT bikes aren't crazy light, so it's um yeah it's I I don't know off the top of my head what the weight is. I should have looked that up before I came. Yeah, just because it looks there's so much to it now, mm. you know. But it's all carbon fiber, obviously. But it's and that's one thing I would say. You know, you're probably thinking, I'm um, when you're looking at that, I've got four spaces to be holding my fluid. So I've got two behind my seat. I've got the X-Lab um, aero bottle on the frame and then I've got the, the cube sort of set up with integrated system out the front. It has a massive amount of fluid in here, isn't it? Uh, it looks like it is. It's not as, it's, oh, it's only okay. sort of bottle full. So you, potentially I'm carrying up to four bottles on the bike. But I kind of, when you're being self-sufficient, when you're using Ucan and um, you Infinite it. or whatever else you, you've got on there, you kind of need it. And yes, it's a weight, but in the big scheme of things, if that's going to mean... Yeah, you way quicker on race day than so be it. So check out those um, items, and especially enjoying that carbon wing at the back. Uh, it made a big difference when I was uh, doing my setup. Okay, yeah, I'll put a photo of that on imtalk.me if you want to check out the cube bike and John's always little bits and pieces on that bike. I tell you what, it's a mean looking machine. John, we're going to interview a Brett. Wait <laughs> talking about what? Talking about basically what technical officials sort of instructed to do his sort of interpretation when he's out there uh, doing it and uh, and also giving Brett a good slap on the back for basically being somebody who's gone out there still racing but actively goes out there and does TOing as well. Okay here is Brett Chan. Radio team uh, over the last few weeks we've had um, more evolution and people moaning and groaning about drafting which is completely justified we've seen some massive big packs at events uh, such as Ironman Italy, um, we always see them at Barcelona and a lot of other races around the world. We also had 70.3 Worlds where we, a lot of us saw Lucy Charles get a, a drafting infringement there. Uh, and there's, I know there's no easy solution to this, but I thought it would be really useful to get um, some words from somebody who uh, goes on both sides of the fence. He's an athlete. He was on our road camp uh, the year before last, uh, had a good race over there and also does some technical officiating. So you would have heard of him um, from the camp and wrote. I'm sure Bevan would have interviewed him. It's Brent Chan. Uh, so Brent, tell us, uh, maybe just re retell everybody you know, where you're from and kind of what you get up to in terms of your, your tri-career and your, your nine to five, and then just sort of delve into how you got into technical, technical officiating. All right. Uh, so yeah, I, um, I got into triathlon pretty late in the game, I guess, not till I was an adult onset learner and learned to swim at 40 years old. So uh, pretty late in the game. I'm one of those athletes, you know, I was kind of like the, the backup goaltender. You have to spend a lot of time learning about the sport since I didn't have a lot of natural talent. So I, uh, <laughs> as uh, you may have heard from that road interview, I ended up in going pretty deep in that race, but uh, yeah, I've done a couple of Ironmans myself, uh, officiated a number of others, um, racing for the last eight years or so, different different distances. Um, for my nine-to-five job, I'm a director of IT for a public sector organization here in uh, Victoria, BC, Canada. So. 
Nice. So what, what sort of uh, motivated you to you know, firstly go and um, do the training, et cetera, for <coughs> becoming a technical official? And you know, what, was, what was the driver for you? Yeah, um, like I said, I was really kind of a student of the sport. Um, you know, I was really interested in how other people did things and kind of really got into following kind of pros around the world and different races and things like that. And, you know, where I live, we're, we're very lucky to be have a very prolific race schedule. So I kind of got into this race one, volunteer at one kind of way to give back to the sport. And while I was volunteering at one of those races, I ran into an old school teacher of mine who was a race official and he thought I had the right personality and temperament to become official and I kind of gave it some thought for a little while and then signed up for the uh, kind of introductory race officials course if I can call that the following year. And look, I know this is going to vary massively from country to country, mm. um, but maybe sort of talk us through the pathway for, you know, firstly, just getting your basic technical official um, ticket and, and and what sort of steps do you go through to actually, you know, say getting up to being a drafting official and, and beyond that? Yeah, so Triathlon Canada and Triathlon British Columbia, which is kind of the provincial organization, they're like many of the major countries that you'll you'll think about are all followers of the ITU rules. So there's actually a consistent, fairly consistent path required for ITU certification organ uh, national federations. So for us, there's a half day course to get what we call a, a provincial technical official level one, which is that first level where you can officiate regional events. So that's your local triathlons, you know, your your provincial and your city events and things like that. You're kind of filling the more junior roles or the assistant bike, assistant swim, that kind of role. And then um, there's a second course at the provincial level that's a day-long course. And that allows you to be a PTO level one, uh, level two, sorry. And you can do kind of the head referee roles and the, and the more senior roles at those local events. So it's still within the, the kind of provincial boundaries of, of Canada. After that, you start getting to the national and then the continental and the international level of um, certifications. And for Canada, there's a two and a half day course to get your national level license uh, or your certification and, and along with a written test. And that also qualifies you to be an ITU level one official which now you can do some of the ITU events both within your country and, and uh, uh, probationarily for international events. So our, our NTO uh, level certification matches up with the ITO level one. Continental technical official for us, the continental USA, Canada, Mexico lines up with ITU level two. And then there's another course for that. And then there's an ITU level three, which we call ITO in in Canada, and that's another level of course and um, certification. There's also for us in Canada, we have a time period requirement. So you have to be a PTO level one for 12 months and get kind of uh, peer reviewed before you can go to level two. And you have to be four years at the provincial level before you can go to the national level and so on. So it does take quite a long time before you move up the ranks. And that's one of kind of the complaints around the technical officials at least that i've spoken to is it, it takes a long time to really move through the path so if, if if we're rocking up to an ironman race for example um and you can use canada you know that's your neck of the woods 
if we come across uh, somebody who's say doing draft busting, you know, what level of experience would they have been required to have? Well, Ironman uses the local triathlon officials, so there'll be at least uh, provincial level two uh, officials who are doing most of the roles. But you'll have a head referee um, who is going to be a, probably a national or continental level official. At least in British Columbia and Ironman Canada, we have an abundance of very high level officials. Most of Can- Canadians' high level officials are British Columbians, or certainly a large number of them. So when you come to Ironman Canada, we'll have a head referee that's you know done much of that ITU level courses and has six, seven, eight years worth of experience. But for drafting marshals, you can you can get a bit of a variety based on whatever that provincial level organization is and who's available you know for that particular weekend. So how much draft busting have you actually done yourself? Um, I have worked Ironman Canada uh, three times, um, and I was the head draft marshal, I guess you could call it, for uh, Ironman 70.3 Victoria, where I had the pro men to look after the most recently. Nice. So when you are coming up, you know, uh, yeah, often I know you guys are on the back of big Harley Davidsons, etc., um, roaming the course. What, yeah. What's sort of the process for you when you're deciding if somebody's infringing? You know, how long does it take? You know, say you're coming up behind them, you go, Christ, that guy looks uh, a little bit, that guy or girl looks a little bit close. What's the sort of process that you go through? Yeah, so what I try to do is um, I try to approach from behind kind of as, as slowly as possible. As you say, the motorcycles can be heard as, as people are approaching. Um, one thing we do try and do is we try and take the gold wings the quiet motorcycles and give them to the draft marshals and we give the media the Harley Davidsons uh, so that they make all the noise. But um, if I can, I'll approach and watch from the back for, you know, for a, a few seconds or, you know, as, as long as I feel necessary before I'll come up, pull up beside a, a racer or make my presence known. I find that as soon as they know you're around, much like law enforcement, people start to adjust their behavior. So, um, I do my very best to kind of be a little bit sneaky, um, but it really depends on whether they're making a move or not. So I will watch for, you know, up to the 20 or 25 seconds that they have to pass um, if I think they're making a move. But if they're just sitting in and I can tell kind of right away that they're not making any attempt to make that pass, then then I'll approach a little bit more quickly. Mm. Um, the big challenge for you guys and, and for athletes as well is, you know, course congestion and not just people that are, you know, loosely maybe sitting at that right on the edge, maybe hovering whether they come in or out of the zone, but it's when those packs start to form. And, and as everyone knows, you know, I've been a, a felt the wrath of the officials in Kona one year. Um, but what, what sort of the pro- approach and what advice are you given if you've got a bunch that forms up? Let's say, you know, it's 10 to 20 people, you know, how the hell are you guys supposed to break that up? Yeah, that, I mean, I would say that's almost more common now, given the size of races and the, the the multi-lab courses. It's probably more common for me to encounter packs of riders, either of you know ten to twenty, as you said, or, or at least a few, rather than it is to see a long string of riders riding, you know, kind of at that draft, you know, draft zone limit, because there's just not enough room. I see that at the beginning of at the front of the races with the kind of elite age groupers, maybe. But for the most part, you know, the middle and the back of the pack, you're going to see draft packs way more than anything else. I think for us as officials, what we're looking for is movement. 
in those draft packs. We're looking for people to be changing positions. We're looking for, you know, not to be sitting in, not to be, not to kind of being a long stream of people pulled all out to the left and blocking and, and moving through. You know, although you're making the pass, you don't want to be a chain or a train of people making that pass altogether and, and drafting the whole time. So we try and drake those up both by just by being present and making our, our presence known. As I said, if we come into that situation, I'll just being visible will break people up quite a bit. But even on those multi-lap courses, you're probably going to get eight or nine draft marshals, you know, at most Ironmans. And it's, we can't be everywhere. But um, we are trying to, you know, we know that racers want a fair race and we're doing our best to break those packs up. But it's also hard to kind of slap down 10 or 15 penalties all at once. Mm. So when you watch the pros, and I don't know how much of the coverage you watched in Nice, you know, it seemed yeah. to me um, that, you know, I didn't see when Lucy Charles got her infringement, but, you know, you watch Nice, you watch um, you watch Kona. You know, what what's your sort of interpretation of, of how well that's officiated um, and, and sort of a lenience they seem to give athletes, especially in Nice when they had a, a long drag uphill and, and it seemed to me that athletes were sort of coming in and out of that draft zone and, and sometimes didn't complete passes. So how do you think the officials over there sort of did and, 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 and what would likely have been their instructions as to how to officiate you know, the uphill sections? Yeah, I mean, it uphill section, as much as some people might like to believe, um, we our instructions are generally uphill sections are just as um, you're just as capable of drafting on an uphill section. Imagine heading into a headwind on an uphill section; you're still getting a significant benefit. So we still officiate that, you know, pretty closely to the rules. Obviously, if you know it's a very long, slow drag for you know age groupers, it might be slightly officiated slightly differently or a little bit more leniency, I'll say. But the other thing to remember is that when you're watching those races, you're watching from the view of the media. There may not even be a technical official with that media camera. So, you know, to kind of judge the officials based on what you're seeing from the media can be a little bit hard. Um, so I'd, hes- I'd hesitate to do that, to, to call out any of my, my peers over there in Nice. But, um, <laughs> you know, it is something that we we do pay attention to, and and you know the 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 racers, most of the racers and especially the pros, they want us to be watching that closely. They want a fair race, and and you know they know what the draft limit is, and and they're trying to to race fair for the most part as well. When it comes like with the pros, we often see you know in Nice or in Kona, we see a bit of a lineup of athletes. With with the age yeah. groupers, it's a lot different. There's a lot of movement on the course, so. What, what are some of the common errors you see out there? You know, because I think athletes need to take some responsibility here. Some people just simply don't have a clue what they're doing um, and they unintentionally are drafting or causing issues. Um, other athletes are blatantly cheating and, um, and, and there's a whole, whole mix in there. So, you know, what are some of the common errors you see athletes um, making? Well, there's a couple of things to remember is that there's different draft rules for pros and for age groupers. So if you think about that train, the pros have to, they can't just slot in if there isn't more than that 12 meter gap. So if there's a train of of five or six pros and they're all in the 12 meters, the pro at the back has to pass all of those riders in one shot, which is why you see the trains working that they do it. They, They can only jump in if somebody leaves a bigger gap than the 12 meters and that's kind of how they move up the line for age groupers the biggest thing that i see is kind of that the the recognition 
or the lack of recognition, I guess, that if you come up behind somebody and you can't make the pass, dropping back out or, or, or giving up and dropping out is still a drafting penalty. You have, once you've made that move, you have to keep going. So especially in the draft packs or when you hit to hills or something like that, the biggest thing I see from age groupers is just not paying attention to that draft zone and kind of accidentally falling into it and then thinking that they're okay by just slowing down or sitting up again. And, and that's not the case. Mm. Um, I think you've probably addressed most of my, my other questions. Just in, in terms of, I, know, I bet you must cop some abuse out there or most people when they get their, get their infringement, they're like a busted or, you know, I was drafting. What, what sort of responses do you typically get? Um, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of like Bevan's comment the other week where, well, if you don't call everything, you shouldn't call anything. And, and you know, that's, that's a pretty tough way to officiate any event or, or, you know, any enforce any rule or we can't be everywhere. You know, the fact that you got caught drafting doesn't negate the fact that, you know, somebody else might be doing it and we didn't see it, but you're still drafting and, you, you know, you, yes, you got a penalty and it's unfortunate, but we still have to call what we see and, and, you know, with the amount of officials out there, we'll we'll do our best. For the most part, racers, you know, in the heat of the moment, you know, you can there's sometimes words, but you know, for the most part, racers are pretty good. Um, especially, I've had racers come up to me after the race and and you know, kind of apologize for things. It's we know as as officials that that you know, your referee, any sort of sport, you're occasionally the subject of some disagreement, but. You know, for the most part, I've found triathletes pretty good. And, and often they just want an explanation about why the call went a certain way or what was I seeing and, and that sort of thing. So, mm. um, One other thing I want to say, you made, I think you made some really good comments a few weeks ago when we had the discussion around um, rules that, you know, you'd like to have changed and what on the face of it, some of the, sometimes they seem like stupid rules, but I kind of pointed out and, and you point, when you pointed out that, you know, most rules are there for a reason because of something that's actually happened, um, and so a rule was being created. For example, the, the you know the the, the one with the, the two girls finishing um, hand in hand in yeah. in the the test event, and there's been other cases, you know, with the Brownleys carrying his uh, carrying Johnny across the the, the finish. Um, so yeah, I guess are there any other sort of aspects of technical officiating that sometimes you think? Um, athletes don't really understand why it's there or anything that uh, you just kind of why can't you guys understand why we've got that rule is there anything else you want to get off your chest yeah I mean actually I'll, I'll, I'll correct you on one comment that you made there about the towels and transition that, that's actually not because of clutter or anything like that it's because it's marking your bike location so marking your location is illegal under ITU rules and towels are actually uh, mentioned in that rule as one of the things and as an example of re- ways people can mark their bike location and make it easier to find their bike in transition. Oh, I, I stand corrected. The other thing I would say is that there's a there's probably a, a gulf or a wide gap between you kind of your local triathlon, your Ironman event, and your ITU races in in kind of way things are officiated. Or there can be so if you think about the rule of outside assistance, for example. That's supposed to be a time penalty and and, and can be applied in, and is applied really strictly in ITU races like grand finals and things like that. But if you think about an Ironman base, an Ironman event where a local kind of spectator might have set up a a random table with water station on it and is handing out water 
to racers at a really hot race? Do you want us to go around and disqualify everybody who took water from that table? So there, there is, you know, with Ironman and certainly at the provincial level, the level of, of discretion that we try and exercise and just, you know, we're trying to have a fair and fun race for people, but we also don't want them to have a bad race experience and, and only be talking about their interaction with their technical officials after the race is over. Brilliant. Love your work. You know, I absolutely love it. Um, people are still racing and they get out there and officiating. If I wasn't race organizing, I would like to be out there uh, doing some draft marshalling myself. I think it's really important. Um, and guys, if you're listening to this, you know, officials want you guys to have a good race, as Brent's been saying. it's uh, They're not out there to, to penalise you. They're not on a power trip or anything like that. They're actually out there to help you guys. So, um, yeah, Brent, thanks for investing your time into the sport in Canada. And uh, maybe one day when we have the world champs, well, we've got the world champs out here in uh, 70.3. Come on over. Well, you should come out to Edmonton for the grand final next year. But the other thing I'll say is if you know any of your friends who have motorcycles, invite them to come out and give us a ride because we've often have draft marshals sitting on the side of the road because there wasn't enough motorcycle volunteers to give us a lift. Brilliant. Awesome. Good luck with the re- – I know your season's closing up, but um, good luck with next season. And uh, you're going to be racing or technical officiating in Edmonton grand final next year? What's, what's your go? Well, I will be a technical. I'm hoping to be doing my national course just before that race, and then I'll be doing my evaluation at the grand final, and then I'll be racing Ironman Canada next weekend. Ah, uh-huh. so uh, Penticton. That's right. Yep. Fantastic. Awesome. Thanks for your time, Brian. All right. Thanks, John. Good to talk to you again. John, your thoughts? It's all good. You know this. I tr- actually there's a. Uh, I don't know if this is official yet, but anyway, there's a product coming out. Um, that's oh, we're, Kiwis, we're releasing it. No, there's some Kiwis coming out with it. It's going to help drafting, officiating. And I'll, maybe I'll just find out a bit more about this. Oh, um, using technology? Using technology. First, first stage, nothing. It's more a communication tool. But second stage will be really interesting if they were able to pull that off. So I'll, Do you know I'll what would have been interesting? It. If Google Glass had never taken off, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the eyesight mm-hmm. thing, you mm-hmm. know, if officials could say, bang. There yeah. it is, take a photo, and it shows the gap. Yeah. You know, because Google Glass, you remember what that was? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so if they could be riding along, they just look at somebody, they see the gap, it takes a photo, mm. and then there's your penalty, and then after the race, hey, mate. Yeah, I wonder, if you had enough officials out there, surely now you could have a, um, a GoPro, be. and just uh, when, you, when you're coming up to somebody, if you're going, right, this looks a bit dodgy, just press the record button and record the violation. Well, the good thing about Google Glass was a computer. So you could almost create an application that would just automatically do that. Mm. You could just go up somebody's go, cause GoPro, then you could go bang, bang, bang. But you could almost have an application. Mm. It measures the distance, takes that photo, sends it, but could almost be there at the end of the race in that person's profile. So there's nothing to argue. got to be. It's got to be pretty easy to do, hasn't it? You'd think so. Mm. Mm. But, but then again, I imagine the problem would be <laughs> there would just be everyone would be getting Yeah, that's right. true. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Okay, John, do you want to do a sponsor? Oh, okay. cool. you can. Here we go. Generation. There was kind of a. Uh, so this brought to you by UCAN, uh, and the reason I wanted to do it, we've had a few interviews of late, and I've got another really good interview coming up in a couple of weeks with a nutritionist, sort of talking through um, a few things actually, sort of the difference between males and females, um, and also marathon fueling versus Ironman fueling. And we've got a question here from Mike, the King of the Castle, Morfit. More Peeth. More Peeth. More Peeth. He's got a good question. I'm loving the show, and have always been a regular listener for many years. Mike, we love you. I'm pretty sure Mike was the one that I met uh, up in Kiteri. Um He was about to get on the boat and walk the Able Tasman. Nice. That race Porno, was on Porno, the weekend. Porno did it. Yes, I know. He did 309. 
Nice. He's pretty happy with it because he wasn't. He literally wasn't even able to run in the last kind of eighteen months. So he's the number one athlete for the Oxman. Check it out, Oxman.co.nz. Yeah. He's got the number one bib. Mate, you take it out, Paul. I'm backing you. I have a question that I was hoping you could answer on the podcast. I have heard John explaining the benefits of extreme endurance fuel five with less sugary taste and slow releasing energy. And now you can, as the show sponsor, and hearing some of the interviews have been really interesting. And you can seem to have similar benefits to fuel five. My question is could I use both in a race? And if so, how would a middle of a pack athlete use a combination of these products on an Ironman bike and run, or are you better off to stick to one product? So, a few answers for you. Firstly, there is no simple answer to this. Tell you what, you've written a book in your answer here, God. Uh, okay, well, I'll go through this moderately quickly. Um, the problem is, and this just the more I look into my nutrition studies, it's a bloody nightmare out there because there's all sorts of studies that can show you complete opposite. And I these know. are published studies. It's ridiculous. And the so, okay, so let's move away from this for a second. What are you kind of coming to? Well, the devil's in the detail. Um, the so you devil's in the... There de- you go, team. And so, you know, um, you see all these claims being made and you go, okay, so you've got to have this particular mix of carbohydrates. But then you actually look at the study that they've referenced. It might be, that's not really that relevant to Ironman athletes because they were operating at, maybe they're operating at 50% of um, VO2 max or maybe they were doing some sort of maximal test. So there's so many variables, it's really hard to duplicate because we're all different in different situations. What we need is somebody to go out and do a study um, and this is going to be bloody near impossible to do. But Doing Ironman. Doing an Ironman. Go and get... A thousand people. No, no, you only need a, a moderate sample size. Go and get 15 to 20 age group athletes and go and do an Ironman and give them the exact nutrition um, for a certain period leading into the race. Okay, you say that's hard. It's not that hard. It's, well, the, I think, I think the, the best source of information is probably coaches because we, we see all the different formats. Studies is just a tiny snapshot and it's usually often in the lab, whereas coaches actually see a lot more real-world um, information coming their way. But I, I think, yeah, maybe go and get maybe 20 athletes and – ideally you would give them maybe a six-month nutrition plan so you've got your different control groups etc and then on race day this is what you're going to be consuming and actually maybe maybe you've got to try to stop them a couple of times during the race some somehow to to take some sort of measurements but there's there's next to no studies that are there's a famous story of mark allen wasn't there where after the sixth time losing kona or whatever it was, he went into a lab and did nine men in a lab. Mm. And, and they, you know, now this is 1980s science, so, mm. you know, we're a lot further down the, down the path than that. Um, but he, yeah, he basically went in the lab, did a whole Ironman in the lab in Kona conditions just mm-hmm. to figure out what the crap was happening for his body. Yeah, it's, it's to my knowledge, there hasn't been any studies. There's been some long ones where they've done, say, some five-hour bike tests. Five hours is not 12 to 13 to 14 hours of racing. So it wouldn't be an easy task. Um, and one of your biggest challenges would be getting your subjects to actually come and do it. Uh, and, they, and again, you don't want elite subjects because for most of us, we're operating at a different percentage level to them. So the first thing is um, a lot of the marketing stuff you kind of just got to take with it, with a, certainly with a grain of salt. Um, because every product sort of markets themselves as, as being the best. You know, traditional answer was, and, and I've seen this quoted before, and, and uh, you know, there was a direct relationship between how much you're able to consume and how quick you went in Kona. And I remember a study on, on some of the pros over there, and that often worked off that sort of two-to-one glucose-fructose mix where you're trying to get sort of 90 grams of carbohydrates. Again, for age groupers, that might work for some. 
doesn't work for others. Um, there are others now that are doing low carb, high fat, and they'll be taking in bugger all on race day, but still performing. So you've got this massive gambit of people taking maybe 90 to 100 grams of carbohydrate down to people that are taking maybe 20 to 30, and they're still performing to their sort of potential. <sighs> I'm getting picked up at some stage, Bevan, because I'm being lazy. Uh, so I'm just. What, you're getting I, the pick up phone call. I'm, I, I don't know if I'm getting the pick up phone call quite yet. He's getting the ding dong, buzzing. ding dong, ding dong. This is a great podcast. Is it the wife? No, it's not. Somebody who raced yesterday, one of my athletes. I'll okay. give you a call back they later. Can wait, on. They can wait. You're not the wife. <laughs> they can wait. Um, so it gets back to your original question, um, Michael. Is what I like about UCAN is firstly I haven't raced exclusively on UCAN, so I do want to say that. But the main things I've found for that. Um, is just feel a lot more even and I recall back the first time Phil and I were sort of training on on UCAN you just we were going out and doing sort of the gorgeous ride which is a 150k classic ride around Christchurch and you just didn't feel as frazzled so we'd go out um, having no nutrition on board and be taking on UCAN for the, the first um, sections of the ride and you sort of get midway through the ride and you just wouldn't be having that sort of glazed eyes and sort of on, on edge and feeling like you need to have any nutrition so that was bit the, the sort of number one benefit for me and it, and I do take it in on, on race day as well so you don't feel as frazzled you don't feel on as on edge and it, also on race day it gives me a bit of variety rather than just taking in sugary stuff but to come to your answer um, Michael in terms of mixing different products in with UCAN I think that's what we've heard from the first few interviews I think Matt um, when we first spoke to him he was exclusively on UCAN and Meredith who was a, more, a bit more of an ultra uh, runner and she did plenty of Ironman as well she was exclusively on Ironman talked to Tim O'Donnell on UCAN he was on, on UCAN uh, what did I say on Ironman on Ironman <laughs> on UCAN talked to Tim O'Donnell he sort of does a mix between the two you do a mix and, and then I've kind of done a mix between the two so uh, I don't think it matters um, massively whether you're mixing or not but again you've just got to go out there and and practice what I would say if you are looking at going down the you can um, path you probably want to start looking at your overall nutrition um, in a bit more detail as well so if you're somebody who is living off carbs you know if you're going sandwich uh, you know cereals for breakfast um, sports nutrition and training muffins etc for for lunch and snacks and fruits for snacks as well sandwiches for lunch uh, and then a carb-based dinner as well you're going to need a sustained carbs as you go through training um, and racing uh, so I would say maybe have a look at that I think generation you can will work better for people who are slightly better at utilizing their their fat stores and so for a lot of people off season is a good time to actually try to look at the overall package um, but the main thing I'd say is if, unless you've gone through a race where you haven't had any stomach issues and you felt you know felt like nutrition wasn't an issue all the way through, then keep trying different things um, because there is no one hundred percent right answer. But you can is going to give you more of a sustained slow release. And whether you have the, just you can or whether you have a bit of a mix, um, give it a crack. I had um, Nigel from Christchurch. He was over doing a JD duathlon, and he's just gone out and bought some UCAN as well. He went and did a duathlon at the weekend, and he just had uh, UCAN in the morning. And he's somebody who uh, has been more of a high carbohydrate athlete in the past, uh, and he just had UCAN did a sprint distance race. Biked home, he said he felt great, didn't feel like he needed to go home and, and start chowing down on things. Okay. So I think that's another example of it can help. In training can help in racing, but it also helps to avoid that constant craving for for carbohydrate when you finish sessions, which can often be when you really sabotage what you're doing. You go and do a really good quality session, good nutrition, come home and just go nuts on the food, and kind of defeat <laughs> well what that. you're doing. Yeah. Um, 
Only other points I wanted to make was, what else do I have in my big list here, is, yeah, make sure you, you practice on it. Um, what else do I have? No problem mixing it in. Uh, and the overall thing is, again, we've got a promo code, so it's a good time to try it out. Use the promo code IMTALK and at, uh, if you're in America, generationyoucan.com. If you're in Australia, generationyoucan.com.au. Now, we did have a couple of emails saying the promo code wasn't working initially. If you were one of those people, it is actually working now, so use the promo code IMTALK if you're in Australia. If you're in Canada, smartperformancenutrition.ca, and if you're in New Zealand, superstarch.co.nz. Uh, so go check it out and try it out. And Hancock? Oh, and yeah, the one other thing I would say, you do need to make sure that you mix it in because good old Mount Snail John Hancock, he, he uh, a few years ago, he went and did... Uh, Abel Tasman. Abel Tasman. And had you, he, he trained on UCAN, found it fantastic in his training and he was ready to go. He goes, right, I'm going to use this on race day. Uh, Abel Tasman raced about a marathon length in terms of duration. Got it all sorted. Put it into his um, backpack, so you're wearing a camelback type pack, and running along, and he runs out of energy at the end, and he's like, bloody hell, what the hell's going on there? And then he packed his stuff the night before, didn't think on race morning to give his bag a bit of a shake around, mm. and uh, and had been drinking basically water all the way through. So Oh, no, so just sitting at the bottom. Yeah, so he needs to oh. mix it around. You need to make sure it's mixed Fatal in on race error. day. Fatal error. So check it out, guys. You can uh, really enjoy the product. They've got some new flavors that I'm enjoying. Bevan, I'll bring you some samples up uh, next week yeah, for you sure to give, actually, give it a crack. Try. Yep. But just a easy way to change things up. And, and I put my hand up is I've yet to have an Ironman where I have been great in the last 10Ks. Now, there's obviously various factors going in. Um, you know, you're running out of energy at that stage. You're, you're mentally, mentally weak. <laughs> uh, the heat. I could pull out all the different excuses. Heard them that, all. But that's one area where I'd really like to develop, and I think you can is a great way of making sure that you're not going to be in too much gastric distress come late in the race. Okay, John, uh, let's do Wanger of the Week. And I'm going to choose number three. Number three. Okay, just give me a second, Bevan. Uh, tell us what you did at your weekend while I open up uh, good old Strava. If you're not on Strava, uh, or if you are or aren't on Strava. He asked me a question and then just kept talking. Well, I was just I was padding, Bevan. We're broadcasting professionals. How many bloody shows have we done? 800 and no, well, no, we're probably closer to 800 now. Yeah. Because of the Kona Super Specials and other stuff. Yeah. Done it all. Done it all. Quality as always. Um, you wanted number three, didn't you? Yep. Uh, what I was saying, uh, what are we up to? Oh, crack the 900. We've got 903 members in our Strava group. If you're not on Strava, uh, it's really easy to link it all up to your devices if you record things, whether it be Garmin, whatever, bike or run computer and swim computer. Uh, then get it up on there. Join our I Am Talk group and uh, be part of the community and compare yourself to others. So last week we had our nut bar, Alistair Mohia, who looks like he's running across Spain. He just totally caned everybody again with 52 hours of running. Uh, you want a number three, Bevan. Yep. Rodrigo Gomez. Oh, Rodrigo. Rodrigo. He Rodrigo. 23 That's hours and good 15 name. minutes from 10 activities. No swimming recorded there. Uh, just did lots of biking. He only ran 27 minutes, um, but he did 22 hours and 48 minutes of cycling. It's quite a bit of cycling in one week, averaging th just over three 48 hours. 48 hours? No, 22 hours. Oh. Uh, he's from Bogota. Bloody hell. Bogota? That's in um, Colombia. Nice. It just says Bogota and Bogota, so I presume it's a Bogota in uh, Colombia. That's impressive. He's a consistent trainer. He, yeah, consistent. Like that, that, he's done so far last week, three, 344. Oh, he's a, 
He's in a lot of clubs. He's yeah, a, are you listening, Rodrigo? Come on, Rodrigo. Just, he just joins clubs. <laughs> the right of the page. He's got about 100 clubs. Good on him. Done plenty of... He's in the Red Bull Club. He's... My giddy aunt. He's... I did not know that. You've had a couple of good sayings today. My giddy aunt. When was the last time anyone heard that being said? <laughs> Dude, Rodrigo, credit to you. Man, you're part of a lot of clubs. He loves his clubs, John. He loves his clubs. Okay, John, we're going to do sponsor after this. We'll do questions and answers first. Questions and answers. And Paul McNamans just sent through one. He just got... Guys, love the show after discovering it a few years ago. Um, thought I would mention that I T-boned a spectator volunteer at Ironman Port Macquarie Ooh. back in 2018. We were talking about this last week on the yes. show, weren't we? Uh, definitely worse for wear with a bruised wrist, a busted wrist, uh, banged up ribs and plenty of bark off. Uh, finally managed to redeem things in Cairns this year. Whilst events have plenty of marshals, there are no account for stupid people, unfortunately. So it's a good point, isn't it? Oh, yeah. You've just got to have your wits about you all the time when you're racing and just be ready for morons. Good old uh, Age Group of the Week last week, good old George Gray sent through an email. It's quite a long one, so I'll just kind of do the bit he did about Epic Camp. But he's just saying, loves the show, been a part of his life for eight plus years. He's got coaching, lots of value from it. Uh, loves He's married to the most amazing woman, Camilla. Uh, who has put a lot of puts up with a lot and encouraged me through the all the highs and lows of the past few years, and my wonderful children Sadie and Isa, Isla, uh, uh, believe in me more than I could believe in myself. Their support and motivation has been foundational to my success. You are absolutely right about the benefit of Epic Camp to my mindset this year. In addition to trying to find every little edge I could, ceramic speed chains, Nike next percent. What's that? Don't know what Nike next percent is. Okay. Um, low fat, high carb, low carb, high fat diet, etc. I practice mindfulness on a daily basis using Headspace and the walk, waking up apps. But Epic Camp gave me a mental edge that undoubtedly made something as ridiculous as an Iron Man seem somewhat easy. Training with the coolest people I'd ever met and some of the most incredible scenery was a trip of a lifetime for me. It gave me the confidence I needed to keep pushing all the way through the Iron Man Italy and smashing my goal. Once you get your head in the right place then the body will follow thanks for the podcast keep it up I look forward to catching up with your boys in Kona next year so yeah he did he did I mean he did like 8 8.46 I think it was uh, smashed it that's pretty solid uh, and we were just talking last week about that you know you do an epic camp and you just learn that next mental edge mm. and uh, you know so but uh, and I didn't bring up a few of those points last week I said it, I knew he'd done a bunch of little extra things as you said like the ceramic speed bearings low carb high fat diet and I know the, uh, the mindfulness you know he was trying to uncover all those things and it came together and this is not and when George went in 8.46 like in, on the camp you know I was beating George consistently across yep. and I was a better swimmer than him um, I was able to beat him uh, took a bit of effort sometimes beat him up some of the mountain climbs yep. and I was a better runner so for him to actually go out and do 8.46 it's bloody impressive it's better time than it, you it's better time than me <laughs> yep. to start with um, but in terms of actually his maximum potential yeah. uh, I think that was, uh, do that you was deliver, outstanding because the thing is I always talk to my athletes about is you know the first the, the A goal was Better than what your training says is possible. Mm. You know, B goal is hitting your training, C is kind of close to that, and then D, yeah, but having a shit day. Yeah. <laughs> you know? uh, and, you know, it seems like what you're saying there is that with George, he hit his potential at max. Yeah. You not know, saying there's not more out there. No, no, totally not. I'm but thinking. hey, when you're doing an 846, yeah. 
you know, that's that's a bloody good Iron Man, yeah. and and you know, and it, it's just a really good example of that. So, and on that, John, we're going back to now. This isn't an epic camp, but we have got Camp Kiakaha, and for a challenge road next year, and we're closing off entries for it when uh, we'll need to have entries in by the fifteenth of October. So you got basically just just after Kona, you need to have booked your ticket. There's not we're not we're not saying that because we just want oh we want to get people in now. It's like we have to have the entries in. So if you're thinking about it, now's the time to act. Uh, we've got a couple of spaces left, so if you want to come over to Rote next year, now is the time. It's going to be an awesome experience. Oh, make sure you do it. Seriously, look what George just said about there. One of the coolest life experiences I've had in a long time. You know, it's this experience will be a trip in a lifetime thing. And and that's the thing is, you know, as you get older, John, you want experiences, don't you? Oh, yeah. You don't want stuff. You yeah. want experiences. Some people want stuff. I, I encourage you people to get experiences yeah, as well. Yeah, like experiences as well. And this is an experience. Cool camp. Well, well organised. You end up doing Challenge Road with a great bunch of people who you build some cool relationships along the way. You get to see the whole course pretty much before the race. Mm. Um, so check it out. Go to www.iamtalk.me to check out Camp Kiakaha. Good old Ken Teo sent through an email about Camworth because we were kind of wondering why was he going so crazy in Ironman Italy. And he said Camworth wrote a blog post that was a long, long, long read so he's basically saying he kind of wrapped it up for us background on Camworth being a substitute writer for the team how's that on? Team Ineos in the Tour de France there was talk about maybe someone was sending through maybe it was, maybe it was Ken um, through might do an Ironman I think a lot of them have talked <clears throat> Garrett Thomas I think it's talked about it's like doing an Ironman um but then competing, I don't know if he was serious about that. I would note, I saw Andrew Talansky was also doing... He, he was an ex-cyclist. He was a good good rider. Um, he was doing Chattanooga at the weekend, and he was in about fourth or fifth um, early in the run and then faded to being last pro finisher. And how did he go on the ride? Yeah. Because the young same, guy got same. the record, didn't he? He beat um, um, Marino Van Helgenek, his record on the bike. Right. Um, I think it was what, set in tri-riding. Anyway, it wasn't, wasn't anything special. Okay. Uh, his own blog explaining that Ironman Italy win was just the other day at the office whilst doing a sub eight. Ironman Italy is a tune up for the Big Bang in Kona. Wow, can't wait to see what will materialise. Some experts from excerpts from the blog. Once on the run, I felt like I was again completely in control the rest of the race. I average 100k a week this year, so running is probably the thing that feels the most comfortable for me at the moment. It's a pretty simple objective on the run, win the race. Normally I go all guns blazing, leading to equally spectacular blow-ups. This time I decided to back myself and wait for them to catch me and have enough energy to respond if needed be. Sure enough, the first lap of my local... Mo Malari. Malari smashed my lead by eight minutes into six minutes. I thought I'd better get moving as the keeps if that keeps up, he'll be catching me on the last lap. Then I realised I was running two forty four pace. So I stuck to my comfy tempo and accessed the uh, the situation for my next lap. Uh, so he's thinking, I need to keep easy, conserve energy until I get caught and then start racing. Meanwhile, he's running 244 pace. That's a bit quick. Uh, he has an extra gear. That's insane. He didn't need the gear, extra gear. Actually, he slowed down to take the crowd, atmosphere, and energy. But just saying, although the field wasn't super strong, but being able to deliver a performance like that and getting the course record apparently effortlessly, well, watch out for some fireworks in Kona. That's what Ken's saying. We'll wait and see on that one. I'm not convinced that doing an Ironman a couple of weeks before is... is well, Matt Russell as well. Free. Yeah, Matt Russell is as well, but I, I'm, well. Saying, I'm not saying he can't get top 10, but, you know, worth, on paper, you could say he's a potential winner, potentially, or a podium getter. 
We'll wait and see. I hope he proved. I'd like him to prove. We interviewed wrong. him post race last, and he was pretty disappointed himself mm. last year. Yeah. But it's interesting insight there, isn't he? Normally, I just go crazy. Yeah. This time, I decided to be wiser. Yeah. And he actually had a better run. I don't think him running two forty four can be classified as running easy. That's pretty fast running. Yeah. I think it's gonna come back to bite him in the bum. But I'm happy to be proved wrong. And I'm going to ask Torsten that. I'm going to interview Torsten later this week for next week's show, and I'm going to ask him that sort of question. You know, has have there been many examples of people who have raced two to three weeks out uh, and actually done well? And kind of Matt Russell, we bring that up as an example. He races all the bloody time, but he's not a top three contender. Whereas, isn't he? Cam Cam Worth, I think, is a top three contender. If, 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 if he had the best swim of his life, best bike of his life, best run of his life, he's a top contender. But um, yeah, I don't know. Good old Shai just sent through, uh, just saying that on Kona, on Thai rating, they do have the, have the ages of the different we athletes. We did get that in the end last week. Just no, took we, us, yeah, we did. Just took us a little while. I get this page that he sent through to me. Uh, I got there in the end. Oh, did you? I remember. Okay. okay. <laughs> I'll put a link to it on our website. Join us to a sponsor. Extreme Endurance. Extreme Endurance. If you're looking to get yourself nice and healthy, they've got their Collagens and Greens, which is their new product that comes out. So go to xendurance.com and check that one out. And I'm just waiting for my paid to load. Collagen Greens is a two-in-one product combining grass-fed collagen peptides with organic superfood greens. It's a powerful combination that helps promote healthy skin. People keep telling me I need to get my healthy skin, look after my skin. You've told me for years I need to use facial moisturizer. I don't well, John, need to now. I can use the collagen thing is, greens. The thing is, John, do you know what the difference you know, Athletes who spend a lot of time outside, John, mm-hmm. start to look pretty old. <laughs> so this gives you healthy skin uh, and hair and nails along with improving bone health and joint mobility. Collagen promotes skin hydration and skin elasticity, which helps to reduce fine lines and wrinkles, promoting a youthful, healthy appearance from within. Powerful antioxidants found in organic superfood greens also help promote overall health and wellness in both men and women. So check it out, Collagens Plus Greens on xendurance.com, along with all the other regular products. Mine are, mine are bloody running out the door. I'm about to do another order for any um, Kiwis who want to get a hold of any X Endurance. I carry the standard X Endurance and the Immune Boost uh, to make sure you go fast and also stay healthy. So check it out. And what I would say is I just get people coming back time and time and time and time again um, because once you've tried it, they go, oh, those guys aren't full of crap. It does actually work. <laughs> so check it out, xendurance.com. Okay, John. Uh, so let's just do the sponsors. Extreme Endurance. Galactic Buffer. And Generation You Can. If you can, they can. And remember those the promo code. And if you forgot those websites, uh, generationyoucan.com for states, generationyoucan.com.au for Australia, smartperformancenutrition.ca for Canada, and superstarch.co.nz for New Zealand. It is available elsewhere, but the promo code won't work. Okay, John, if you want to get your show emailed to you, go to www.imtalk.me, front page, down the bottom, put your details in. If you want to become a patron, thank you to all those people who are. If you're listening right now, just pat yourself on the back. Just say, I'm a legend. If you're not if you're not a patron, don't do that. <laughs> punch yourself in the face. Go to the other side. Punch yourself in the face. Punch all this content we give sharp you. Sharpen up. Sharpen up. Uh, go to www.imtalk.me. You donate to the show each time, each monthly, basically. Um, you get gifts. You're going to draw to win a trip to Kona with the boys and just support us in what we're doing. For coaching, go to John Newsom, coachjohnnewsom.com. For my other podcasts, go to bevanjamesiles.com. For other content, like Age Group of the Week, cool websites and other feedback, 
imtalkpodcast at gmail.com. John, your gossip. Oh, we haven't done our patrons yet. We've got a new patron today. Oh, back it up. Okay, well, well let's say the other... You name the other three. I'm just trying to find. Okay, we've got Neil Winterbottom, but what's his nickname? Well, let's think, Neil. If you're listening, I didn't seem to record the nickname we gave you on the podcast uh, in my little spreadsheet. So, if you are listening and you can remember, flick it through. Otherwise, we'll uh, we'll sort you out a new one. Steve the Savage Camacho, and then we've got Tim Iceman Josephs. Okay, John, Neil Thomas. You yes. put up the old Athlinks profile. Well, yeah, Athlinks these days is a little bit harder to track things than it used to be. But anyway, Neil's got a few, a few results up there. Uh, Neil Thompson, he's done, and uh, he did wrote a couple of years ago. We weren't there in 2017, were we? We did last year. No, we did 1816. Yeah. No, 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 we were. We did two years in a row. We didn't. Did we go? So we didn't go last year. Oh, so we did 16, 17. Yeah. So maybe we were there. Maybe, maybe we even met you. Over did we do there. last year? Oh, I don't know. Check out my uh, profile. I'm, I'm not sure. When the hell did I do? No, I went to France in 2016. So maybe we were in 2017s when I did it. Oh, God. God. My memory's not what it used to be. Anyway, he did a challenge wrote in 2017, whether or not we were there or not. Uh, he did 12 hours and 14 minutes. Uh, he's also got on Athlinks uh, marathon PB of 3.32. And he's from, as long as I've got the right Neil Thompson, he's from Walton on Thames. What about the young one? The young one? Yeah. I don't Why know if he's young or not. Because oh, Neil, from, Neil the from the young ones. Yeah. Neil the young one. Yeah, Thompson. Okay. Yeah, that's good. Or the twin, Thompson twins. I don't know if you ever want to be named after the Thompson Twins, would he? Oh, good band. Good band. What was their big song? Okay, I'm going to find out where you go to Thompson Twins. Thompson Twins are a couple no, of Oh, curious. they made it? No, you're thinking of, you're thinking of the, <laughs> <laughs> you're thinking of the top, twin, top Twins. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. That's why I wasn't quite... For those who don't know the Top Twins, which is basically 99% of our audience, the Top <laughs> Twins are is this comic geniuses. Yeah. This comedy... Two two lesbian sisters, yeah. um, who who basically do folk yodeling songs, but hilarious yeah. comedians, icons of New Zealand, yeah. and, and deservedly so, absolutely brilliant. Not the Thompson Twins. Thompson Twins, we had a massive song in the eighties, but one of them was a Kiwi. Okay, yeah. So I think the the female was a singer. So okay, Thompson Twins, hold me now, hold me now. Oh, yeah, I know that one. Yeah, wait, you gonna pull on? Yeah, right. Yeah, for those who don't know. Where's the place to get leads online? Not you, mate. I'm getting off you. <laughs> you can't hear that. Bevan's got something playing on us. Yeah, this is on. This is a this is a classic. This movie. may have been in like one of those John Hughes movies in the eighties. Okay. And this, the girl when it was a Kiwi. Oh, great song. I'm pretty sure it was a girl, wasn't you? Yeah, this is. Where's it? What about Young Ones? That was a classic show. This is this is how this all came yep. about. Okay. Okay, the youngers will go with. Stay with me. Oh, great song, great song. I'm not confident in the young one. I think we can do better than that. Okay, we'll go on. Then. Okay, you, you tell. I'm going to go to my darts generator nickname and see what. What about what about Rick Mail's? What what are his characters' names? Rick Mail was a genius. Mail, Rick Mail. He died unfortunately. He died a few years ago. Remember Rick Mail? Yeah. He was a genius. Um, for those who, now, UK listeners, Australian, American listeners probably wouldn't know him that well, would they? No. But Rick Mayo was a, a comic genius. What about The Flash? Now, we've probably already got a Flash, haven't we? I think we've probably got The Flash. Because The Flash and um, Blackadder? Mm-hmm. Go look for Blackadder characters. 
I can't, I'm doing that. I can't do two oh, things at once. Like here, it, uh, characters. This is gold. People podcast, are loving this. This may be the best podcasting we've ever done. John. Just watch some of the Rugby World Cup while you're um, while you're listening to us, sort of getting um, uh-huh. around for information. The Prince Regal. Prince Regal. Okay. Um, no. You better hurry up, John, because you're really you're really killing this podcast. Oh, it's quality. <laughs> I've, I've got to wait for my pickup. Yeah. What do you, oh, what do you need? Send her a text. Yeah. What about Lord Lord Flashheart? <laughs> there we go, Lord Flashheart. Hold on, let's just see what the nickname. Okay, it's going to Lord Flashheart or Lord Flashheart was one of the greatest characters. The in, tripod, Neil the tripod. Oh come on. tripod triathlon. It does mean it's the appendage of his body, which would be quite big. <laughs> just what was one you had? It sounded better. Lord Flashheart. Lord Flashheart. Now, 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 what was who were we giving this to? Neil Thomas. Neil Thomas. Is he, do we know where he's from? Uh, he is from, as long as his athlete, athlete's profile was correct, he is from Walton on Thames. So it's, it's in the UK. UK. Oh, he'll know who Lord Flashart is then. Right. If you don't know who Lord Flashart is, look up Blackadder in, in the Goes Forth series. Oh, <laughs> genius. Have you, do you watch Blackadder? Well, I did about 20 years ago. It's worth a rewatch. Yeah, okay. One of the greatest comedy shows of all time. Belinda watched Dirty Dancing the night before last. Wow, did you watch That's it with awesome. I did not. Nobody puts the baby in the corner. Yeah. That yeah. line wasn't going to be in the show. Really? Yes. Wow. Didn't have it. How, and how did you find that out? Because you don't know pop culture that well. Because Belinda was watching it and then she was watching a little bit afterwards. Because I said, what did the, the girl off Dirty Dancing do afterwards? Well, do you know what she did wrong? She got a nose job. She no, got a nose job. Mm. No one recognised her. Did you also know that she was in a car crash with Matthew Broderick, I think it yeah, is? Yeah, from Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Yeah, because they were both in that together. And they were in Ireland before some awards show and they crashed and some people died. Um, oh, really? And they were involved in that. Plus, she had a nose job, which she couldn't recognise her afterwards. Yeah. Dean, if you want your pop culture, go see John Newsom. <laughs> Very good. Uh, Bevan, what's happening in your world? Uh, no, I'll ask you first. What's your goss? What's my goss? We had a, a JD duathlon at the weekend. First race of the series was... Good weather. Miserable. Oh, yeah, first race, yep. Diabolical. Second race, could not have got better. Steaming hot. Sunday was perfect day, the wasn't it? First race I've ever had to warn people about magpie attacks because we're going past oh, a section with really? the magpies and few, few people attacked? got drilled. Oh, no. um, but not a lot, which was quite good. So we had duathlon at the weekend. and Who won? Tom Somerville took that out. And then uh, good old Kylie Cox took out the females <laughs> race. Kylie Cox? What was her nickname in the end? Well, you went to she, and she went with you with a hot chick. I'm, yeah. I'm calling her the colonel. I think, oh, that's right, because she loves chicken. That's yeah. Right, yeah. And what else has been happening, Bevan? Would uh, you be the colonel or the hot chick? <laughs> Pretty the obvious. Colonel. The colonel. <laughs> um, running's ticking along okay. What do you, what's your race? I'm going to do a half marathon on November the 3rd, if everything goes Which to schedule. It's out sort of in it's a small Selwyn, out that sort of neck of the oh, woods. Yeah, yep. so, you could win it. Yeah, it doesn't look like they get the strongest field there. No. So I'm running sort of five or six times a week, so my legs are getting a bit sore what on it. What do you think you do half in? Well, I'd be pretty disappointed in anything slower than one fifteen. Things go well, potentially down to one thirteen, but that'd be a bit of a bit of a stretch, I think. But I, I think what you say, A goal will be one thirteen, B would be sort of one fourteen to one fifteen. If it was slower than one six fifteen, I'd be uh, conditions. It could be windy, but um, yeah, because it's exposed out there, isn't mm. it? Yeah, so that's about it. Got a going up to Kateri next week, so we're going to be Scrollers. pre-recording next week, which is a bit of a shame because it's pre-Kona week. But we'll, I've got a few interviews lined up. Uh, I'm going to be interviewing Torsten. Um, I'm going to have a chat to Joe Skipper tomorrow. I've got one or two others, so it may be more of an interview show for next week. But looking forward to Kona. 
Oh, good times, John. Good times. Okay, uh, my goss. Yes. <sighs> Did the gardening. Did the gardening. It is the time of year to do the gardening, isn't mm-hmm. it? I love my my lawns. Yeah, well, I don't have to anymore. I've got my crop rotation working with. What uh, do you mean your crop rotation? Well, not crop rotation. <laughs> what is it? You rotate your guinea pigs, and you think you're a farmer. <laughs> I've got to move my animals around and then I've got to fer- fertilise crop rotation. I've got to fertilise and I've got to be growing so they're onto a new patch now and I've got to divide the garden up so they've got constant stream of fresh grass. The some farm. Yeah, and this rain today is good. You know, it's going to help a bit of growth. And then some, our neighbours next door, they, I, I wasn't cutting the, the lawn out the front. It sort of it verges onto in front of ours but it's more their lawn than ours and it's just a flat. And, um, but wait a second. Do you wait? Do you not do it? I normally mowed their lawn, that lawn out the front but I've kind of haven't because that's sort of our grass picking area. So it was, it was getting pretty long and she's got a new boyfriend and I think the boyfriend's son maybe came around and he just whacked the shit out of it with a weed whacker. Oh, and no. So it's not done properly, so I'm going to have to mow it there and we haven't got our grass. Yeah, how did you get along with the neighbour? Yeah, uh, fine, yeah. All right. Mm. Have you had any neighbour tension? What's the worst neighbour tension you've had in your life? Not so much our neighbour tension. We had... Um, up where we used to live when we were kids, there was some serious court cases and stuff going on. Oh, really? Once in neighbours, it was what, 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 what happened? Like they'd be throwing. They went, I remember they had um, no way. next to their front door. They had because they had a shared driveway, and this is where the dispute came. They had next to their front door. They had um, uh, some big big pot plants, and they had like some sheep droppings in there. You know, for the fertilizer. <laughs> One day they picked the sheep droppings up and was throwing them at them. Was, what uh, was the argument over? Uh, boundary lines and then it just got out of control yeah it can be tough like when we lived in our old place on the Hackthorn Road before we left because we had that big bush you know we had that big bush to the left of our house yes but yeah. you, you also had sorry to interrupt but you had your dispute over the the, the cable going down the the internet oh cable. you had that guy yeah he was mm-hmm. a bit difficult mm-hmm. he was like stuck in the 80s mm-hmm. but we got him in the end mm-hmm. we did well, I got him in the end but then the bush now we didn't really worry about the bush that much but because it kind of killed your view if it grew too high, mm-hmm. but it wasn't really our main view, so we never really worried about. It. But when we went to sell the place, mm-hmm. we thought we must have chop it down because it opens up the view a lot. Mm-hmm. So we paid some arborists to pay down. We had to get the neighbour because it's actually on the neighbour's side, mm-hmm. and they weren't on the same driveway; they're on the other side. Um, lovely people, but the the guy who chopped it chopped it really low and left a real mess on their side of the house. Oh uh, yeah, and and that kind of went a little bit off at us and. It was a little bit of a funny situation because it was kind of like, well, it's not our fault, you know, mm. it was not our fault, he was incompetent. So we rang the guy and he complained and went over and cleaned up. But it was definitely created some tension and we were like, doesn't matter, three weeks we're out of here. <laughs> this is nice. the key. John, this weekend at our house, we're having a murder mystery night. Mm, very good. Yeah. So because mm. for Joe's always wanted to have a murder mystery night. Mm-hmm. And so for a birthday, I bought a package mm-hmm. and I bought off online. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad my wife, my wife likes organising. Yeah. Because it's a lot of organising. Really? So basically everyone's got to come, everyone gets a character. We've posted it out to them. But she doesn't get to participate if she's organising. No, you, you do actually. So she, and you, and you, they do it, in, it's actually really great. Um, they do it in a way where you don't know, know who the murderer is. Mm-hmm. So even as you organise, they have like a piece of paper, do not look at this, fold it and put it mm-hmm. straight in the envelope. Um, so she doesn't know, who, nobody knows who the murderer is. Everyone's already got sent out an envelope and you've got mm-hmm. your clues. Then when you arrive, you get more clues. Mm-hmm. And then you've got to be the murderer. You've got to figure out who, A, are you the murderer? Have you been murdered, John? Crazy stuff. Tell you, John, it's all Party answers. time in the Isles household this weekend. Yep, so you'll get, you'll get a report. But apparently, a very fun night. Got so I'll be looking for that. Other than that, John, that's my gosh. I'm Russ. I'm in Nope. Train hard. Train smart. Kia, Kia kaha. Kaha.